welcome to episode 22 of Miniatures Monthly at the Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and joining me as ever is Tom Senior. Hello, good evening. On this, the middle of March, so we did do a podcast in a different month to the last one. Yeah, are we technically on track? No, no. we're late. <laughs> Let's not pretend. <laughs> but it is technically monthly in the sense that it happens in a month. Okay, we've done it. Yeah. Good job, good job <laughs> us. Actual distance between months, no one can know. Yeah. Impossible to tell. No way. And we shouldn't be asked to try. Um, it's been a busy month, though. Um, not for us. <laughs> no, luckily the world of Warhammer has uh, doubled its speed to, you know, counter our breath yeah. of activity. It's a bit much in a way. Uh, yeah, I think I can't, I've, I've struggled to keep pace with it at all this month, actually, just because I've been busy partly, but also just because lots of tiny, relatively small announcements, it feels like, for mm. lots of bits of games. Well, apart from a new 40k call box, obviously, but yeah, lo- loads, loads to discuss. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because like, I think, um, I was curious to figure out, like, I know that, um, obviously Games Workshop puts, you know, targets on themselves to sort of match sort of, uh, sales week on week, year on year. So, mm. you know, this particular week in March is expected to do better than the same week in March last year. Yeah. And so my question was for a long time was like, how are they going to, how are they going to handle, uh, a, a year without an edition change? Mm. They had, you know, we had 40k eighth two years ago and then, that's a bizarre number of t- years that that is. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, sorry. I just realized how long ago that was. An AOS 2 last year. Last year. So, yeah. um, so in addition to time speeding up, uh, which is horrifying, mm. um, you know, this is obviously a year without uh, a big, uh, change for either of the, the main game systems. And apparently the, the way to compensate with that, uh, for that is, um, to simply just, uh, f- uh unleash a ridiculous kind of cavalcade of stuff. Um, all mm. of the time, which makes it um, difficult to not, and we'll probably get to this, just wildly adopt new projects for almost, uh, <laughs> on, 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 if nothing other than a, a passing whim. That's uh, what they want, though. That's yeah, the, it is, yeah. Intention. Mm, yeah, the, uh, I, um, it's whale song is what you're getting from me um, <laughs> <laughs> this week. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we should, we've got a bunch of news to talk through, so we should talk through it. Um, I think, unlike previous news sections, because there's a whole bunch, uh, we might just split it into 40k and AOS yeah. separately, rather than trying to do things in the order that they happened. Because no one remembers what order things happened and in. It doesn't matter. Also, there is a um, games event on at the moment that a bunch of news is coming out of. Hmm. We have some of that news, but not all of it. So by the time you listen to this, there will be more of it. Yeah. But I don't know what it is, because it matter, hasn't happened. No matter when we record, there's always... It's something that gets announced quite large. That yeah, right actually, we do it. it's kind of comforting in a way to know that that is literally happening right now. Yes. So I don't need to worry about it might happen because it will. Mm. By the time we finish recording this, there'll be something announced. I don't know, laser elves or, or I don't know, uh, Angron's back and he's, he's just a big anus now. I don't know. Like anything could happen in the very true. grim darkness of the fire. I hope future. that doesn't happen. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> It'd be awful. <laughs> it would. Um, but you know. Uh, who knows? Um, so we should talk about 40k, I think mm. probably first, sure. because, um, uh, a, a big man is back, back again. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm a very big fan of this model. I've got to say it's, me too. It's just, it's, it's a good a classic. It's a classic. It's a good and nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Abaddon is, is, has returned and he's been bigger eat- than ever. <laughs> he's been eating his beans, <laughs> drinking his milk. He doesn't accept the blessings of the chaos gods, but he will eat some beans. Uh, he's going to get stacked. He's, he's, down in his raw egg yolks, uh, like Rocky, and he's, he's, he's in massive now. Not, not quite as big as 
Grilliman, I don't think. He's but, close. But close. And I think that's the way it should be. I like the idea that he's slightly smaller and sort of punching up a little bit, you know, yeah. as a kid. I mean, he he was punching up a lot further up previously. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think someone on Discord pointed out that, like, old Aberdeen basically fits in new Aberdeen's upturned hand. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the photoshops of that and they're very rewarding. Yeah. I think it's an amazing model. Like, it's, it's superb, it really is. And the option, not just, like, the pose is just incredible and it's kind of imperious, but I also love the fact that they include, like, three different heads, uh, whether you want, like, friendly, uh, you know, <laughs> you know Aberdeen you can relate to and you know maybe you know have a chat yeah. with and that, a slightly noble kind of Horus style facade and then there's just the raging furious Aberdeen yeah your options are handsome Horus yes angry Aberdeen or Bane or Bane yes <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know which one I prefer um I don't know I like I like the quite I like the noble one actually and I also quite like the mask one just because yeah. it fits so well with his armour and you know how yeah it, it, cape or no cape for you Tom oh I do like the cape I like mm. the sweeping sense of with his gesture the cape kind of sweeps behind him and I think it's yeah. a very good profile uh, and also I, I like the fact that it would differentiate him from Gwilliman a bit because Gwilliman's just he's capeless isn't he he's just the kind of yeah. space silhouette but I like the idea of that extra chaotic adornment and the idea he's got this kind of yeah. spikes coming out the top and that's part of the you know what chaos space marines do to themselves to separate themselves and their old what happens is you know you you fall to you know or you you know you embrace the 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 need to overthrow the false emperor mm. and you also learn to accessorize at absolutely. the same time like, absolutely they go hand right. in hand. yeah and there's the, the armor trim on it is just perfect and all the kind of the, I, I really like the we'll move on to the new box set but i i love the chaos uh space marines and what they've done with chaos much more than what they've done with the primaries right actually. yeah i mean that's worth getting on to so yeah. the, the new box is is called shadow spear um uh, which is not to be confused with Spear of Shadows, a mm. uh, book, um, uh, which is sort of the, every like army box they've put out recently has been leading to this, I think, because mm. it's all been uh, battles taking place between different factions on Vigilus, which is the new world everyone is fighting over all the time. The, the new Cadia, basically. Yeah, Cadia 2. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, to Blackstone, to Fortress, I don't know what the... <laughs> um, <laughs> what the the joke would be but basically it's it's black legion it's returned black legion uh chaos space marines um uh led by a floaty goat man um versus uh literally i was going to say a new chamber of <laughs> ultramarines basically though but yeah. they're literally called the vanguard so it's yeah, like yeah you know then presumably the next one will be uh, uh sacrosanct ultramarines and then exterminators yeah yeah, extremists, yeah uh yeah yeah you can see you see where they're going with it I'm not quite sure where the Space Marines aesthetic is at, at the moment, though, in terms mm. of the Primaris. I've absolutely loved the Tactical Marines. They're not in, they're intercessors. Is that yeah. what they're called? Yeah, yeah. The equivalent of Tactical Marines, almost in a way. Mm. Um, the, I love the posing of them and the the way they've they redesigned the armor to match more sensible human proportions. I think it just completely worked for me. Um, but the new stuff feels a little bit a little bit weird, and I'm not quite sure whether it's it's kind of feels trapped between recognizably modern military and far future space marine shapes in a way that yeah. i don't quite get it i um i would say and i i know i tend to like everything really like mm. these are the first um the space reads in that box are the first new games workshop models i think i don't like mm. you know as a range right like rather than being like oh i'm not sure about this particular one but i love this unit or whatever yeah right like i'm really not sure about them and i think it's because they um they combine um, I think the the cleanness of of you know this sp- space marine look and the reaver look, mm. um, and I don't mind the kind of stripped back power armor thing, but then they add loads and loads and loads of additional accessories, 
um, in what feels like quite a sort of, it's quite nineties. Like Games Workshop have gone in quite an eighties direction lately. I think yeah, in a bunch yeah. of ways. Like there's Jesus lots of Jesus the Cults, like throwback kind of eighties mm. comic book things. They feel very Rob Liefeld. Right, right. Like they're just absolutely fucking covered in pouches and bandoliers and mm. stuff. And the sort of, you're kind of like, I think with the average space marine design, you accept that there's a bunch of stuff you don't see, right? Like they're holding weapons with, you know, clips, you know, bolter magazines in the, and they're not covered in bolter magazines, hmm. right? In order to carry enough. Yeah. There's a bunch of mind's eye stuff you're, 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 you just accept, right? Whereas with these, you know, they're all wearing like a little half cape bit of tarp, like urban combat tarp. Hmm. And they've got like this sort of like, you know, tax, like tactical vest kind of stuff. I think the worst offender is the new lieutenant jokes about constant Primaris lieutenants, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. Because he's got like power armor, a gun with three different scopes on it, um, a visor with its own scope and a visor. He's got, he's holding a knife, but he's also got another knife mm. and a keychain that looks like a knife and a keychain that looks like a bullet, which I think are the marks of, you know, honor or something like that. But it's just, it's a bit much. And I, I don't really get like, I think I really like about the intercessors is I think we've spoken about this. We spoke about this when we first saw them, the vibe that they're sort of, sort of slick and, and calmly kind of, you know, uh, they, they feel quite modern, um, but without being sort of over adorned. Yeah. Whereas these, I think are just full on over adorned. Yeah, and all, but in a direction I'm not terribly interested in for Space Marines. So if they were full on in a direction of, oh, holy warriors with a kind of paladin-esque reverence for the Emperor yeah. and their mission, uh, a la Blood Angels and a lot of other kind of chapters, or even, you know, like the Dark Angels and the way they're robed. Yeah. But it's the kind of a very, um, Call of Duty style tactical military, uh, mm. look combined with the familiar Space Marine armor. I just, it's never sit, sit right for me. The, and it, it's silly to criticize the Space Marines wearing capes because I love it when the Dark Angels wear capes as part of their whole deal and their psychology. Yeah, yeah. But the scouts wearing capes just, I know there's, they're, cause they're camo, but they're just like ghillie suits for them basically. But in Space Marine armor, it just feels super odd to me. I don't know why even. Like, I think it's because the sort of the, I mean, I appreciate this is the, like the Raven Guard's entire thing, mm. but it's like the, it's the sort of the folly of attempting to be a sneaky one ton man. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> it's like yeah yeah um i think i think maybe for me it's the like it's a load of extra detail that doesn't actually necessarily add up lots more character right whereas like there are you know there's lots of detail added to space marine you know miniatures from particular chapters for example hmm. like space wolves with lots of pelts or or like you say dark angels with the robes like you can absolutely do that and i think it works because the core design is is really strong hmm. Um, but this stuff doesn't add loads to me. And I think, yeah. you know, I mean, actually, to be honest, although I was trying to think about it, if they just said, these are Raven Guard models, this is what Raven Guard do, because mm. it's what their thing is, is like stealth and infiltration. Then obviously I don't think they'd ever do that because they would never want to limit the, you know, uh, availability of those models to other people. But if like adding lots of like tactical gear was part of the, I don't know, the Raven Guard upgrade sprue or something, mm. I'd kind of buy it because it would have like a, a more obvious kind of rounding in character or personality. But because this is just sort of like, I guess we need all of this extra stuff. I don't quite get a vibe from it really. Yeah. And also, cause you know, they're always traditionally painted as ultra, ultramarines and the, the ultramarines are still very much the kind of poster chapter. Yeah. But the, the ultramarines fantasy is about tactical brilliance and kind of quite, uh, you know, codex heavy, um, reliable. Yeah. And that, 
it's hard to extrapolate that into detail on models yeah. perhaps like you know maybe it does look like that maybe it does just look like extra gubbins like military gubbins to make you better at the executing strategies stuff I don't yeah know. maybe I, like i think there's also like there's a sort of tremendous kind of like roman military thing to the ultramarines where mm. it's all sort of like it's quite um when i say spartan i don't mean literally like greek spartans but you know sort of like mm. disciplined and kind of stripped back whereas you know the sort of the idea of um, I mean, I guess they would work better as other chapters. Mm. You know, I think they, they'd work quite well as, um, uh, Blood Ravens, for example, like the sort of, the sort of more kind of like out there chapters that do things their own way mm. rather than Ultramarines, right? Yeah, Where I can kind of imagine the Yeah. Although I suppose the idea is, you know, Gilliman's back and he's rewritten the codex. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, it's Call of Duty now. You can <laughs> yeah. unlocks. It's just unlocks for days. Yeah, everyone's prestiging out there. Mm. Uh, um, then you've got these two flying guys with enormous guns that are, like, even for Warhammer, way too big for them, and they look, like, totally out of control as they're about to just crash right into the ground. And yeah. I was like, wow. I mean, the, again, I've just seen photographs. Sometimes when you see models there, you come across very differently. But I was like, uh, <laughs> not really. I quite liked the original idea of the these um space movies that come down from space and they're enormous in this gravis armor and they're they've got a storm bolter on each fist and yeah uh that that was a cool fancy and i can imagine that and it's very hard to describe to the books whereas these guys just look like spindly out of control look sort of like a goblin characters almost yeah like, right like, like, it's like they're holding like this giant rivet gun mm. and it's it's yeah as you say way too big for them <laughs> and because they are you know like it would be one thing if they were like in huge armor and firmly planted because they're like terminator weapons they look like sort of terminator autocannons kind of thing yeah, yeah. um and like I mean, yeah, like, was it, it's not aggressors, it was, uh, inceptors. Yes, inceptors. They're the original ones, yeah. Were like flying terminators, basically, mm. with terminate weapons in each hand. And it kind of worked because they were quite punchy looking, whereas mm. these look, um, yeah, like a kind of, an out, like a, like they would f- fly away like a pop balloon as soon <laughs> yes, as they, they fire it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's a good description. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that side of things just didn't, didn't quite sit for me, but the other side of stuff, I love the new demon engine thing that they've yeah. made that looks like a dark mechanicus thing gone even more horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they've got their kind of not quite dreadnoughts, but almost like, uh, obliterators. Uh, yeah. That are kind of just disgusting enough to kind of work and, you know, I, they fit into that aesthetic, but I, I really particularly like the, just the normal Marines, which they have, mm. I think they've increased in size, but they've got all the, all the kind of, uh, all the adornments you'd expect of her. Yeah. Uh, for, I think they feel less surprising because obviously Blackstone gave us a sense of like where that was all going that's to go. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But they are great. Like the new Black Legion stuff is, is really, really cool. Yeah. Super nice. And yeah, it's, it's again, another example of a box set basically prefacing what's going to come in the next, next year or so. So like you'd expect to see a lot of Blackstone stuff like with Silver Tower turning up in 40k in the next sort of few years probably yeah i think so yeah including maybe an amble army <laughs> you can run the amble i think i think they come can, yeah. yeah in 40k so i don't know what its allegiances are <laughs> i think none right. i don't know because I've, I've got the amble model and it's it does come with the war scrolls and its allegiances amble basically <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense, that yeah, make sense. <laughs> it's like um yeah like um the I, one, one thing about Shadow Spirits box, so there's a few things. One is obviously it's, um, the price has gone up for those kinds of army boxes. So mm. 105 quid, 105. which is extra 10 quid or something. On yeah. The which is, it's an interesting one because it's, uh, it has fewer models than Dark Imperium and it doesn't have the, the book. The book. The book's amazing in and the book's Dark Imperium. a big as well. part of it. Like, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I'm a bit, mm, the other, the other side of it is I think I've been, it'd been interesting to note over the last couple of years, particularly with, um, the sort of, I guess what can feel like the core boxes, hmm. uh, how the kind of, um, the sort of 
the the paint challenge works out between them and i think it, it you know they've, it's varied over time so like the original aos core set um the corn stuff was vastly more sort of labor intensive to paint through than the stormcast mm. really like obviously you can Definitely. always do more mm. but stormcast look good with a few you know they the stormcast are a i would say like a low floor high ceiling army yeah i'd say that actually it's very hard to get to that high ceiling with them because they're yeah right. their sculpts are so basic in many ways uh, but yeah you're completely right about the corn being much harder to paint they're smaller as well in that set yeah and there's more of them yeah and, and they're more detailed and like uh, and in and i think um dark imperium was a relatively balanced box in that regard because space marines um can be forgiving in that flat colors can just do it for you and you're fine mm. but they can also be difficult because panel like clean panel lining and things is, yeah, is a pain um, and then the Death Guard, again, really high skill ceiling. You see a lot of really, really good painters doing Death Guard, but at the same time, quite a low floor because mm. they're just scribbly, you know, monster men and you spray them green and put Agrax Earthshade over them and they're most they of the way good. done. Yeah. Um, like, and then I think, um, Soul Wars, the new AOS box is like one of the best balances of that mm. because like Night Haunt can be super easy yeah. and also reward more work. Uh, the you know and the sacrosanct are stormcast so they benefit from the same thing but with a little bit more on them yeah like, just a bit more for you to do yeah not yeah. loads and loads just but like robes yeah. and a bit more sort of you know there's more opportunities to if you want to do heraldry or something you, yeah, you yeah, can sure. um, whereas shadow spear i think is really interesting because like that was like one of the first ones i looked at and went like fuck i don't want to like <laughs> like i mean i appreciate you don't have to do black legion for example but like if you if you were to if you were a new person looking at that at the box You've got black power armor, which is difficult. Yeah. Covered in gold filigree and, and chaos stuff, mm. which is also difficult. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got space marines, which would traditionally be, you know, relatively easy to a certain, you know, amount of finesse you could put on them, but absolutely covered in, de- in, in detail, mm. in dynamic it's poses. Outrageous. That means that, like, I don't know, a spray of blue spray paint and doing the, the shoulder pad trims and the lenses and the gun mm. absolutely won't do it because you'll have all they'll covered in they'll be covered in you know other stuff that you've ignored yeah so it's like i was kind of i'll be interested to see if that affects the how the adoption rate of it if you know what i mean because mm. it just feels it just feels intimidating to me like i was sort of looking at both sides of it thinking like either one of these halves of this box feel like a quite a big thing to take on yeah definitely it's interesting. It feels a little bit imbalanced to me that it feels like you get more chaos for that, for in that box as well, given that you have a vehicle yeah. and you've got a couple of big lads. <laughs> and then you've also got rank and file and a general, like that's mm. a really nice army. Whereas on the other side, you've got a couple of flying dudes and some just rank and file and then a snipers and some snipers. And it feels like less of a interesting I think, army to use. Maybe. I think maybe it's a weird, like if you think of it in terms of like, um, boxes you end up buying separately. Mm. Um, the space marine make up for the lack of a vehicle with more characters because they get a librarian and a captain and a, yeah. But like, I was surprised. Like when they were sort of first teasing it, I was talking to a friend in uh, in GW in town and, and said like, I sort of I was half expecting like um, them to there to be some bikes or like a land speeder equivalent because mm-hmm. they seem like things that would fit really naturally into the sort of vanguard primaris. Yeah, right. Um, because I was kind of trying to figure out like, oh, what do you put in the box is the equivalent to the um the spindly demon engine thing mm. and there just isn't anything really equivalent to it no um, yeah you've got to go so big with um like the, the transport is a really cool model but like that's a big thing like you probably don't get that type of thing in a box uh they don't have any kind of mid-sized the equivalent would be like a dreadnought 
or something like that but there, there yeah. isn't really a pro- and the drug primus dreadnought is massive yeah, <laughs> so again right. it probably just doesn't fit in that type of box mm. so i think the primus has always outgrown their own boxes in a way for, for that right, scale yeah. of model. they're too big they're just too big the boys yeah. are getting too big they're, they're too big for their <laughs> own boxes whereas chaos uh, i still aren't like and also you're a bit more free with chaos to do strange demon engines mm. whereas uh space movies kind of have to be boxy and you know larger in that way in that regard yeah yeah i'm sort of reminded of the um I think it was the third edition 40k box set, the um, uh, uh, Black Templars versus Dark Eldar mm. one that I think had a land speeder in it and like, you know, as well as like two squads of tactical marines yeah, and, nice. and, 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 a, and a, a man, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So I was like, I think they, that you could do that, but you'd probably lose one of the other squads or something mm. like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, yeah. You get a more interesting game out of it. I think the problem with the Dark Imperium box um, was that, uh, the the Nurgle force you got apart from the Blight Drone did one thing very slowly and, and then the Primaris on the other side did their own one thing very slowly in very stationary manner like the Primaris just stands still around their buff characters and the um the Nurgle just walk forward quite slowly uh, the Death Guard even and so there was very little kind of tactical variety to what you could do in the game with just the starter set and at least with the demon engine and at least with some of their flying stuff the space moves have in the new box it might be they might lend itself yeah they've got like games proper, out like it. deployment madness as well with right. the vanguard because they basically set up wherever they want uh, so, okay, so like yeah, kind of infiltrators yeah that's nice so you, you might actually end up in better games yeah I, I could something. totally buy that like I, I quite like the rules for the the vanguard primaris i mm. kind of like but um yeah I, I think um i think with those models i can't wait to see what they do with the actual multi-pose kits that will inevitably come out yeah, for sure. both sides actually because yeah. i think you know um for the criticism i've leveled at it i think i might just not like these uh monopose mm. versions yeah you might be able to leave a lot of that detail off or position it in a way that makes more sense to yeah to, to or even you know convert them a little bit more easily without um mm. compromising the joins on a because on a obviously on a like they they were designed to be uh you know i think they're push fit you know there's right. a lot of other things yeah, going on yeah. there cool yeah uh, so i think we've we've uh, that's, that's probably the most negative we've ever been about a big box but yeah 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 but abaddon's incredible so it's like abaddon's yeah. wonderful it is oh, you just buy abaddon as a paint a one-off painting project wouldn't you just yeah that model. that's tempting yeah i do like him very very much um so otherwise there's been a bunch of stuff uh revealed for um blackstone which you and i still need to play yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i played a little bit more of it um uh, i'm still really really loving it um so there's so the war so this is a really weird one so they've announced a um like a standalone game called combat arena uh which is a sort of four player like arena combat game um but that uh set in the set as a prequel to backstone fortress um where all of the characters very evidently are new blackstone fortress heroes mm. including like a like an inquisitorial knight that looks rad an amazing looking rogue trader mm. um uh servitor and stuff but the weird thing about this is, um, and I can't take credit for this observation, but um, based on the cards that you can see in the photo they put out of the game and the way it's laid out, it's Gore Chosen, which was an Age of Sigmar corn-themed uh, standalone arena combat game that was notable chiefly for being a 35-quid game that came with about 70-quid worth of character models. Yeah, right. Um, and that, uh, so I, I, I'm guessing this is just them finding a home for a rule set that is no longer sold but mm. it's an interesting sort of weird like m- m- mashing together of things yeah right it's an interesting i mean they've released hero boxes before with just yeah. heroes in for something like the old um, warhammer silver tower warhammer quest games 
Um, but I don't, so uh, are we hoping that these are Blackstone Fortress characters in waiting? I think they, I think they are. Like, I think they've basically said that. Yeah. It's just like my, my, my confusion is whether or not they will come in their own Blackstone Fortress expansion. Uh, yeah. In their own box, but with Blackstone Fortress cards or something, or is there a card expansion that lets you, yeah. Or does this have them? In yeah, which case that's a yeah. yeah, different proposition entirely. Like it's a, mm. it's a strange sort of thing. Cause I, you know, I, I, I really love the models actually. I, I, you know, it'd be great to have more hero options for, for Blackstone. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm not sure what the, cause I know that was revealed at New York Toy Fair, I think, where mm. it's more like, um, like board games centric, perhaps board games board game. facing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That uh, makes sense in that case, but they don't tend to do kind of a blister pack with, built-in rules so you, you they don't they wouldn't do like a black an individual blackstone hero with its rules for use in blackstone it yeah like games workshop strategy is built around boxes which means you need a core game to sell the models around almost i suppose um underworld's warbands are almost the exception to that and that true, it's yeah, like yeah. one or two sprues and some cards and rules and things yeah that's really true. but obviously that in some cases that's like you know seven or eight models mm. but like you know a warband is like the unit of play for mm. underworld so maybe they could do like i don't know 10 probably 15 pound mini boxes for blackstone with mm. a character and rules maybe yeah it's not how they've maybe tended to do things that i can imagine it being like 30 quid box with cards in yeah but in which case like why make it a gore, a sort of gore chosen reskin if that's what it is uh and not do it as a kind of blackstone expansion as they have with you know say for example the blackstone expansion with the um amberlin is 35 quid i think yeah, yeah. you've got like a big model and two small models with it and then mostly cards and stuff. And the new one, I don't know how much it's going to be priced, but again, it's just like a big model and a small model. And it's probably going to be quite similar. Yeah. Uh, so why, why not continue doing that with just a couple of models at that price point rather than bundling five or six heroes into one? I don't know. Mm, it's, it'll be an interesting one. Cause actually I think, um, uh, the, the, the question of price for these things is kind of interesting because, mm. I felt, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Dreaded Umble is actually a really lovely model. Like I, I picked it up and the, the cards and rules and things are, are cool. Like it's a, it's a substantial little additional adventure. Yeah. It's really hard. Like it's, it's really tuned for sort of end game. You know, you know how to play this game yeah. kind of stuff. So I don't think it's like an auto buy necessarily. Mm. If that, in that, say if that makes sense, it's not like your game is incomplete without this. It's, sure? it's more that, you know, when you want more, but I think they also obviously know that. Uh, stuff like this, expansions for things like Warhammer Quest, um, are one-off, very much one-off purchases and very optional feeling. Yeah. So it feels like quite, uh, quite premium price for, for what you get. Cause mm. the Amble is a big model, but it's slightly smaller than Molog. Right. Um, and Molog's mob, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily buy that the value of a box is how, literally how much plastic is in it. Yeah. Sure. But Molog's mob is like quite a big model and three small models. Mm. Whereas the, uh, for 17 quid, with a bunch of cards and, and other bits and so on. Whereas, um, the dreaded Umble is, uh, about model about the same size as Molog and two tiny models, mm. uh, and fewer cards and things for 35 quid for mm. like twice the price. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Kind of just, I mean, that's more of an interesting sort of like, Hmm, how the, you know, how, uh, value weighting works across completely different ecosystems. Yeah. It's probably the assumption that, you know, almost every serious underworlds player buys every expansion because there are cards in every expansion that are usable by everybody. Mm. So therefore that gets, and also maybe there's a precedent set by the pricing of other Underworlds Warbands. So that's what that goes for. Yeah. Whereas, um, a Blackstone expansion is more like a one-off kind of thing. Like I wouldn't be surprised if a expansion with four or five new hero models and their accompanying cards was 50 quid, mm. like genuinely wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. The type of player is already sunk out, uh, what, 90 quid into the yeah. core set, something like that. And if it, if you're playing it enough, 
to want an expansion, you've, it's a regular part of your social game playing space and you can therefore charge more to expand that than you could maybe something like Shadespire. It's just interesting, isn't it, to think about how, uh, how these things, yeah, you know, I would and plan to buy the Anvil expansion. <laughs> yeah. Even though I've not played the game yet because I just know I, I love it's the models. Lo- of the it's world. a lovely model. Yeah. Um, and the game is, is, is great. It's my, yeah. still my favorite new thing games that we should have done. But yeah, it's just interesting. Like, so the, the new expansion they announced this afternoon actually was, um, Traitor Command, which is a Chaos Ogryn and a Chaos Commissar, mm. which is, which are cool things to see. Yeah. They're yeah. really cool things, but I'm interested to see what the, what the price point for that ends up being. Though I would suspect it'd be 35 quid again. I'd suspect so. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and I guess these things, they, um, don't just come with rules for how the bad guys operate. There are quests and stuff, aren't they? With like rewards. Yeah. They are like little, I mean, oh yeah. You get like, you'll get, um, you know, um, I think you'd get at least one, like, dedicated session out of just playing the Amble stuff. Yeah. And then, um, and then, turn up and then obviously you can, you can feed those cards into the encounter decks for yeah. the, for the main game. Mm. If you want it to be, um, hard, really <laughs> hard. Although a really nice thing that actually I think, um, balances the Amble in some ways, yeah, um, which is super cool is the Amble treats every model as an explorer. Which is a that's ruling, cool. which means that it can kill anything. Yeah, so we have to like yeah, because I think like that's um uh, not to get deep into Blackstone stuff, but like I think one of the only things it's almost it's kind of missing, and it's sort of like, or it'd be a very different game. But at the moment, everything's either an enemy or or an explorer, mm. and so you know when you draw an encounter cu- a table, when you, you're drawing the encounters for a given combat map, and you get like, I don't know, traitor guard, traitor guard, uh, ghouls, mm. spindle drones, um you are just facing all of those things. Whereas it would be kind of, kind of cool if there were factions. Yeah. Cause it feels like there are factions. In the, in the fiction there are. Yeah. Like, the Urgles don't care about who they eat. Right? No. Urgles will eat anything. The spindle drones are the wardens of the fortress itself and will kill anything mm. that's not a uh, part of the fortress. And the traitor guard of chaos. Mm. So it would actually be kind of rad if there were rules for them fighting each other. Yeah. yeah. And you could strategize around that. Cause I think you'd have to make combat a little bit harder to account for the fact that but then you could get an encounter where you draw traitor guard traitor guard beast men chaos marines they're all on the same side they're all on the same side yeah. and you know so that that was something that I think is uh, the thing that's so good about Blackstone is, is how well it's um, mechanics create uh, it's it's generation creates really interesting like scenarios where you have to pick which way to go because you've got these enemies this way and these enemies this way mm. and these guys are going likely to pave in this way and so they might run this way and, and that kind of thing that's really cool yeah um, but it was missing that element of like almost like AI essentially mm. or like, um, you know, behaviors and, and the Amble adds that cause it means that he can show up, eat Obsidious Maleks and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you defeat him, he sort of goes away and comes back as well. Doesn't he? Like, he does. But he, tunnels away and comes back and it's like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Quite right. get rid of it. There's like, um, I, you know, I don't want to spoil things for the expansion, but there are like tunnels you can crawl through and you can't oh, do cool. anything but crawl while you're inside them. And like getting caught in there is like, Oh, actually, nice. like horror. horrifying. But yeah. That's great. That's great. I love it. And they've kind of, they've got mechanical ambles in Necromunda now. Is that a thing? Mm. And they've sort of armored ambles. Ambots. Yeah. Ambo- I don't understand how that works in fiction <laughs> terms, but they, I like the models and it's cool. That they I think just... they just made some robots inspired by everyone's favorite <laughs> giant, like extreme oh, hench ant. So that there aren't actually giant ants inside those things. No, they're not. They're, they're <laughs> okay. like, that makes more know, sense. it's like, um, you know, like in real life when you, you build a JCB that looks like a dog, because of course you do. Yeah. No, you know, but it's just, nice. it's just <laughs> they nice. just did that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I don't know why I went with JCB that looks like a dog. I'm yeah, sure there, are, know, I'm sure there are examples of machines that look like an animal, but there are. Are there? Um, no, no, <laughs> there aren't actually. Mm. Shame. Get, 
<laughs> Get on it, John Deere. <laughs> yeah, come on. Where's your Dyson? Where's your vacuum cleaner? <laughs> Shaped like a mole. <laughs> exactly. Bring it. Um, we should talk about, uh, Age of Sigma. Yes. <laughs> we should. Uh, a huge number of, there's uh, two battle tomes. Is that right? It's, two, not, it's two, not more. Two, uh, uh, two have come out and a third one's been, been announced. announced. Uh, so we've got Skaven now. We've got Moon Clan. And oh, we, Moonclan was January. Oh, that was before. Yeah. So Skaven. Fleshy to Courts. Fleshy to Courts, that's right. And then, uh, Corn. Corn Blades of Corn are yeah. back. Really so faster. what you've done there, Thomas, described three things I like. Yeah. They've, they've, it feels like they're laser targeting <laughs> your brain. I, yeah. I thought, I, I'm not going to lie. At the start of this year, I was like, you know what? And I said this on this podcast we record. So it's, there's for, for posterity. You know what? I'm almost done with Siege, and I am almost done with Siege. Mm. It's time for a little bit of slaves to darkness because Dark Earth will be coming in middle of the year, maybe, mm. probably. Still plausible. Yeah. I hope it doesn't happen, Tom, because <laughs> yeah, they won't stop many releasing models. things I want. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and then they, you know, then they decided to update Con, which is cool. Like, I don't feel huge pressure to get in and buy the book. Mm. Um, um, but also surprise Scave and Battle Tome. I, fe- I think on the last pod, um, I said, I think they're going to do a Skaven Battle Tome. And, and it was like, maybe, maybe not. Mm. And then it was like Skaven and Fleshy to Courts on the same day. Yeah. And this is also after I had said that, um, cause I'm doing, uh, AOS doubles with a friend with a death army in, um, September mm. that I thought I would do a small Fleshy to Courts force to accompany his night haunt. Lo and behold. And lo and behold. There it is. There it is. Especially at a time in my life where I suddenly found myself with a bunch of, um, free time and a bit of disposable income. Anyway, Tom, I've fallen down a bit of a shame hole. This doesn't entirely surprise me. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. It was, but still, I just want to, you know, I, I appreciate this is probably an accepting space for this kind of thing. But we can talk about the AOS news, mm. but I can also um, give some um, thoughts on both of those books, because they are there. <laughs> <laughs> on my shelf. Nice. Um, so, but yeah, so in terms of actual like news, news stuff, I think because it's been quite a 40k heavy thing, there hasn't been like lots of stuff announced um, cause Carrion Empire was already announced last yeah. month, which is the army box, which is, uh, Skaven war machines versus fleshy to courts, gribble men. Yeah. Um, the corn book stuff looks neat. Mm. Sets a precedent for, I mean, the last corn book was two years ago, so it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, that's true. Gives a precedent for the AOS twoifying of, you know, factions that maybe need a bit of help. Yeah. Stuff like Caradron desperately needs some help. I'd like to see that. I'd kind of like to see Sylvaneth, even though they're, yeah. they're fun, just put a little bit of buff to the Sylvaneth, um, cause they're beautiful models as well. Yeah. But yeah. it's, it's rad to think that, so if you're collecting one of those armies, um, you're previous to this type of release, you're kind of in a pit of despair a little bit because you looking ahead and thinking, well, maybe next edition, I might, I might get a book for my army five years down the line, but actually the cadence is going to be quicker than that. But the looks of it, it looks like they're going to use books to keep on refreshing the ranges with just a couple of models in addition, just a, yeah. a scenery model, maybe a, a hero unit, a hero model, maybe, a, maybe a unit perhaps. And that all, that's a, a, that what an army refresh looks like now, rather than having to redo an entire range as it, as it kind of historically used to yeah, be. Once every 15 years. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Uh, which is quite welcome really, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think, and, and the corn, the corn expansion is actually like, it's reasonably beefy, like it's, cause they're, they're putting out the flesh hounds separately. Yeah. Karanak, you know, that were in Wrath and Rapture. Mm. They're releasing, um, two new herald models, uh, plastic, um, bloodletter heralds, one of which is Skulltaker, mm. who's a named character. And I think that's it, but that like pretty much fills out the stuff that was previously resin 
or unavailable for whatever yeah. reason. And they're also getting a, an altar, and they're also getting, I think they're getting some spells as well. Yeah, or endless prayers. Endless prayers, right? <laughs> yeah, nice. Exactly. I um, save corn. <laughs> exactly. It's not magic. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> prayer. Good. Whatever. I'm not a wizard. Go away. <laughs> he is a wizard. He's a wizard. Um, um, yeah, so, th- uh, the altar is a, is a, is a weird one. It looks a bit, um, it's a bit like a sort of, like a teleport pad to me, mm. like a sort of, um, I don't know, like, a, or like a kind of, um, small stage at like a folk festival from hell. <laughs> yeah, that's what's weird about it. It's like, I, I was, I was looking at it and I was like, well, this is cool. It's very corn. Cool. But, uh, it's the idea that they sort of set it up before a pitched battle overnight, like a, a Glastonbury festival. They sort of put the pyramid stage or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, uh, they do blood rituals off it. It's, it's, it's got a sort of hint of sort of Mayan blood sacrifice to it. Yeah. It's tears, uh, steps. I do find this about like, so, you know, I think, um, terrain, faction terrain mm. is, is worth, I think it's an interesting subject to debate because, um, I can see both sides of the argument that there shouldn't be things that cost zero points that give your army a benefit mm. because, I mean, it functionally just adds to the basic cost of getting set up for yes, an army. Like there's, it, right? you know, there's, there is no reason not to have it. And, and that's something we should definitely talk about when we get fleshy to courts because there's some, you know, real, real big stuff that is like not, it's like, like quadruply free if you're willing to spend money on right. a big chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think it encourages people to buy terrain, which has never done particularly well, and to have terrain on tables and to play around terrain because mm. terrain rules are interesting. And, you know, playing around terrain, like, it's a big thing from my recent games of AOS. That, yeah, same. Um, you know, I think it's good for the game in that regard. It looks cool. I do wish in some ways they would make sure there were always a really solid reason why the terrain is there. Mm. Like, I don't mind if it's flimsy, but like, you know, all this starts with Sylvaneth, um, summoning forests and that's what they do. They create, you know, the, 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 the enchanted woodland, like bursts out of the ground and yeah. the Sylvaneth emerge from it. I completely understand that. Similarly, like the, um, the Nurgle, uh, Nalmor, like the Nurgle tree, again, Nurgle's garden is a existing conceit. It grows everywhere. Yeah. I'm fine with that as well. The Ideneth shipwreck, they explain in the Ideneth book that sort of ghostly manifestations of the, this kind of like magical ocean that the Ideneth bring with them manifest on the battlefield when the Ideneth fight. Yeah. When you have fish that are swimming through magic water, mm. it's fine, I think, to have a ghostly shipwreck or something, particularly because yeah. the sort of default paint scheme makes it look like it's not really there. Mm. It's like a mirage or an illusion it's or something. Spectral. Mm. Yeah. Um, the new Skaven Norholes, um, also work because they are literally like, um, holes rent in the ground because of the things Gaven have been able to do since the beginning of AOS, which is tunnel through reality. Mm. And they just add a game system for something that was already in the fiction, which yeah, was, 100%. yeah. And they're rad as well in terms of what, um, what they do and, and how they work. Mm. And, and I think they're quite fun and, and strategic, but then you do have ones like the corn altar. And I think the, the throne, like the charnel throne for the, um, and to a extent, like the herdstone and the, uh, loon shrine for the grots mm. where it's like, before every battle, both sides are doing a certain amount of like, gla- yeah, as you say, Brett. like Glastonbury style setting up. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, no. yeah, like every, ba- like, you know, like a, I don't know, like a beast of chaos versus flashy to courts game is fundamentally like an amp v amp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like battle of the bands where like you got to mm. go set up the night before and then reveal your big rock mm. and shout at their big rock until one of you wins. <laughs> I can kind of imagine the Hearthstone being carried by the sort of tribes of beastmen. Yeah. But the, the, the there's something about the model that, you know, implies that it's magical sort of floating a little bit as they might be able to move it. But the, the altar and those two altars basically, uh, you know, overnight jobs almost. Yeah. And if they were kind of, 
Is it Palantirs, the, where the people carry? Uh, Palanquins. Palanquins, sorry. Yeah. Um, Palantirs, a world stone or something in yeah. the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, yeah, uh, if there's something that looked like it could be carried or was being carried by Gribblies, you know, yeah. on, um, like, or something like the Black Coach, which is kind of the equivalent for the, you know, the, the Night Hawks, really. Even though it's a unit, it's basically a moving piece of scenery as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd, 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 I think I'd buy uh, it a bit more. My idea was that the, like the, the Charnel Throne, like, was supposed to be like the, the seat of a aberrant, you know, arch regent or a ghoul king. Mm. Um, they've sort of gone halfway with it, which it's like a, it is a throne of bone sitting on top of a staircase, you know, basically yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Very good. I think a fun version of that would just be to do like a big pile of rocks that look a, looks a bit like a throne <laughs> because fleshy to courts would think that's a throne. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So it's more about the delusion than the reality of the mm. thing or to do like a kind of ghostly, but kind of beautiful sort of quasi like, you know, like medieval, throne that's just sort of manifest out of nowhere to represent the delusion you know what i mean so like the the model that exists is sort of halfway yeah. between you know it's not really practical that they would they would build the bone throne uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like before a uh, poor battle yeah uh, especially if it becomes like um as you say like a rules factor like is, is a part of how effective your army is is to, you have to have one of these things yeah. somewhere um and also like i do find like terrain is increasingly large in aos and the six yeah. by four feels increasingly small increasingly small and um <laughs> not how those words work biggish uh, little <laughs> yeah uh but the, the the table shrinks very quickly when you start putting terrain down uh especially when with the movement rules and you know how difficult it could be to get around that stuff and that's mm. an interesting part of the game for sure but the more terrain you kind of force onto the table uh the trickier it gets and the kind of fiddlier it can get yeah eventually um and yeah the 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 shipwrecks in particular i remember the first time i ever played against ideneth uh this is before this was faq'd but they used the shipwrecks to just block off like most the vast majority of the map and because like their dudes that could fly or move in particular ways yeah like, it was really cheesy basically and it wasn't really in the spirit of the fantasy that, that had been yeah. laid out in the books i do worry about that stuff with three yeah i think so i think um I think it's sort of also maybe moving a little bit away from what you maybe think of from a traditional kind of fantasy wargaming terrain board. Like, mm. um, you know, I think if you play on a, a flat, you know, in, in some ways the, the board I've got is decent for this because if you play on a flat surface and stick to the advice that you have basically one substantial terrain feature per two square feet, mm. so six on a board, then it is fine. Yeah. And actually the sort of aura rules that surround particular terrain items, um, things that you can take cover in and you can't, that kind of thing, uh, works quite well if everything's on a flat plane. Mm. But it gets complicated as soon as you have like rolling hills, like the old traditional sort of like yeah. polystyrene hill thing. Mm. Or books with a cloth over them where you can't put stuff in because it's going really weirdly sideways and, yeah. you know, the model's sort of falling over and things because you're trying to cram things in the wrong places. Mm. Like I feel like, I mean, it makes sense that Games Workshop would do this, but like the ideal sort of um, platform for a game of AOS is like a flat plane which has six pieces of terrain on it they each have an interesting aura effect mm. and then um you know uh, maybe two extra pieces of terrain provided by each player that are then inserted in interesting places to kind of create some sort of texture technical mm. texture but otherwise you're not thinking a lot about things like elevation or line of sight or you know that yeah. kind of thing because mm. it's well you are but it's not as like prevalent as it might have been in a you know a few iterations of this type of game ago yeah that's that's for sure i used to get to hit bonuses and stuff are being elevated and you know what does elevated right. mean and that kind of stuff and it becomes you don't want analog kind of rule decisions in the middle of a game that should be either you have the bonus or not and i still think eris struggles with cover 
um because what does being inside a train piece piece mean or yeah and a lot of the train pieces have been designed without the rules in mind it feels like because they are just kind of like tiered and they don't have like a flat base where you can say that's in or out you know and uh you just kind of have to eyeball it and sort yeah of well it's it. like if you put if you put your i don't know little azurite ruins or something mm. and you mount them on a piece of mdf then suddenly it's more easy to say you're in cover because mm. you're on it yeah you know what i mean yeah. rather than just within the walls of a ta- uh, building yeah uh, like I'd, I would always be happy to house rule it to be like, if you're within the walls of a building, then you're in cover. Cause that's literally that's what, what you would do. Yeah. yeah. Cause actually traditionally in life, the floor is not the thing that gives you cover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, quite. Um, and I, I'm, it's good to move away from the, to the extent from the line of sight thing where, yeah. oh, I can see that man's hand. Therefore this entire unit is not in cover, which is the sort of thing, thing that you, you used to get. Um, but even then, like still for large monsters, if you can see the tip of a wing, you can probably shoot it in AOS, right? Like yeah, depending yeah. on the, how hard you argue. <laughs> so that stuff isn't great. Terrain has never had a good kind of track history with, again, that wants to be simple and clear. Like terrain does create problems that I don't think they've quite solved yet. Yeah. yeah. Even before you get into the army pointing and balance stuff. But nonetheless, they did make a little stage for, but for a slot priest did. to shout from. Yeah, they did. And he can shout so hard a big axe comes out of space, but that's not a magical spell. <laughs> no, it's a prayer. <laughs> it's, a, it's all remember. Yeah. Uh, the, wizards, wizards are shit. We don't like wizards. Hmm. Um, we may be doing blood sacrifices and creating various, uh, effects, but it's definitely not a spell. Also, one of the spells, one of the prayers, sorry, is a crying skull. <laughs> yeah. It's crying blood. Yeah, a couple of those, don't you? That makes, yeah, a couple of them that makes wizards forget spells. <laughs> That's quite cool. Yeah. So, yeah. and I'm not sure how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can have to write some pretty Maybe they look at it and go like, well, if that isn't a spell, then what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and then they forget that they're wizards. <laughs> I mean, it must be very distracting. Wizards are trying to hold incantations in the mind and yeah. crying blood that is the gothiest thing i've ever seen i can't remember what i was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. it's like walking into the other room and forgetting why you're there oh shit like, oh yeah. no you always uh, yeah i suppose a, a, a worshiper of corn never forgets what they came in for <laughs> like, <laughs> only one thing exactly. it's only the one thing yeah guys, skulls. guys yeah yeah swords of priests only want one thing and it's disgusting <laughs> skulls certainly uh, uh, i like the new swords priest uh, named model it's extremely ott in a way oh the i'm sorry i'm um, the skull taker skull taker yeah. yeah yeah there it is yeah 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 um yeah it it's ridiculous yeah it's escape great. of skulls it, yeah the um like corn blood letters are a weird a, a weird design for a, yeah. a demon aren't they like big old heads and sort of gangly and really luminous not quite what yeah i mean it's like all of the the god specific demons are weird because mm. it's like i mean pink horrors are basically a pink doom imp <laughs> yeah um yeah blood letters are like a chibi satan mm. you know what i mean like a big head adorable anime satan <laughs> yeah i guess it's, i don't know there's still there's something quite unusual about them i think like, yeah especially when you see them riding giant kind of armored bull things mm. it's like how did this happen <laughs> how did this happen in the demon realm <laughs> how did these guys pair up yeah i mean on? also at what point did the god of excess go mm, crab women <laughs> right yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's my thing <laughs> i mean I suppose, I suppose... i've i've seen the internet and now this crab women crab women <laughs> um i mean i suppose in this or plague bearers kind of make sense yeah yeah disease dudes zombies one eyed zombies thing. They're, they're always counting why don't know but you know sure yeah, whatever <laughs> um speaking of um armored rhino bull bear dog things mm. um did you see today they revealed the new rules for skull crushers mighty skull crushers i did not in the corn cavalry oh uh, yeah they're, they're the ones that 
I've got, you know, the, yeah, 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 they're awesome, great models. They are great models, but they're a bit underwhelming previously. Yeah. They look kind of nuts now. So mm-hmm. they've added a rule for them where, because currently when the unit charges on like a four up, you do D3 model wounds. Mm. And that's changing. So it's two up per model and it's one model wound. So if a unit of three charges, it's three two ups for up to three mortal wounds. Mm. But if a unit of six charges, it's, it goes back to D3 mortal wounds, but per model. Oh, wow. So a unit of, it's six two ups. So mm. on average, one will fail. So on average, it's five D3 mortal wounds when they charge. Oh, gosh. Which is. That's good. It's good. I mean, the name is Skull Crusher, not <laughs> yeah. like, you know, just sort of like charge, not like, um, Tar Pit, which was their previous role. So. Yeah. 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 Quite. Yeah, so I think there's some cool stuff coming. Like, um, yeah. there's a lot of like quite. Um, I mean, I think probably the time to talk about corn will be when that book's out, when mm-hmm. which will be next month, I imagine. But yeah, like it's they're obviously doing what I wanted them to do, which is have like a serious look at you know where that army's at and kind of rebalance things. The other thing I really like is um, they've added a lot more and better buffs to the blood tithe table. So the blood tithe table is like corn gets a point every time a unit dies, doesn't matter whose because yeah. corn does not care, and so on and so on. And previously, because that can be used for either summoning or buffs, um, if it was a little bit weighted towards summoning, because new units, free units are almost always better than an amazing buff. Mm. But it feels like they're adding some like really amazing buffs to the other side. Oh, cool. So, so that means I think that's quite a player friendly decision. I'd have to see the book to know exactly how far it goes, because it means that you're still kind of able to take advantage of the full allegiance ability. Without buying new boxes, without having to have like boxes of spare demons. And, yeah, you know, that yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Hmm, nice. Hmm, excited. Um, speaking of which, actually, like, it occurred to me playing a bunch of Zinch games this weekend. I would actually quite like a new Zinch book. Hmm. Like, I know it's not as urgent as with others, but like, almost, I didn't. Um, so this is this is definitely a milestone. Um, I played in a tournament this weekend, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, in last weekend, which we'll get to, but uh, and I didn't open the Zinch Battle Tome at all. Because none of it still applies. Mm. Like everything has been FAQ'd. Right. Like, well, you know, that all of the war scores for Zangor are completely wrong because the correct war scores are in the Beasts of Chaos book. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. on the app and stuff, but it was like, you kind of know maybe you need a new book when you're not even looking in your book yeah, for yeah. any of the rules for any of your stuff. It's interesting. Apart from artifacts. But even then mm. I have the errata because most of them were rewritten. So it's like, you know, it's like, I would quite like a. They need to equalize a load of the Zinch models anyway. Stuff like flamers just aren't like quite where they should be. Stuff like yeah. the flaming chariot. Um, even the, still the way that pink auras and stuff work and split could still do with refining, I think. And, and yeah, I think they're in an okay position, but yeah. they are weird. They're still weird, which is, I mean, it's fine for Zinch to be weird, but I feel, feels like for the fantasy, it's still not quite right. Yeah. And, um, just maybe a little bit of extra, extra, extra protection for some of the heroes and stuff like that. Like the, some of that are like lesser units that are, they're usually just don't run in each presumably right mm. you just go for a, a few things i do but it, that's it yeah it's not like, uh, yeah but i mean you want those uh, all all units to do something ideally and be viable yeah i think they do to some extent i think summoning helps a lot as soon as you can get right. certain things for free yeah like they have a job mm. like screamers like oh, yeah. you know taking screamers for 100 points versus anger Enlightened for 140 mm. isn't really a competition like that's probably the best value 40 points difference in the game mm. but when you can get them for free and you have a unit that can fly 16 inches and they're quite tough as well can go and is quite tough and can go and get an objective for you mm-hmm. and win you the game that's you know that's fine yeah i, I definitely don't they're regret having a big demon sideboard but mm. i mean we get to this we talk about playing a bunch of games but yeah like it's it's a thing mm. um yeah shall we talk about um tiny beastmen 
Let's do it. Tiny beast, man. Yeah. Why are they so tiny? They're Skaven. I'm sorry. Ah, I, like I see. Yeah, Skaven. Wow. Surprise battle time. Surprise, very substantial battle time as well. Yeah. Like, it's not amazing. Gash equivalent. It's great, that book. Yeah. Um, so I went a bit mad and I decided that I, I, I Skaven was my army in, in um, Fantasy Battle mm. when I was a teenager. And so I'd always had in the back of my head, like, Skaven coming back would be, um, you know, having a, cause, because the focus had been on pestilence, which had never interested me. Mm. Skaven coming back would be one of my, like, break glass on shame pile kind of things. Yeah. And then I fell down a bit of a, a, a flight of stairs in terms of like one decision leading to another, leading to another. Mm. And so, um, I, I will just own to the fact that I'm doing Skaven now. Yeah. I'm um, very excited to some Skaven. Specifically Scryer. Oh, I've cool. always loved Scryer and, um, I love how mad um, that army can be now mm. in a really fun way. So um, I am going to see how far I get, but I'm actually like pretty much considering taking Scryer to London GT instead right. of Zinch. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. uh, the 2000 point army I've got planned is only like 17 models. Well, wow. because Scryer is it's like war machines, and big dudes. war machines and big dudes. So it's like, it's a very elite scaven army. I think it's going to be extremely inconsistent and a bit mad, but that's the point. Hmm. Um, and that's maybe skipping to the end. So like we talk about some of the scaven stuff I've been painting and working on and things, but like, um, but the book I really, really like, um, sort of top to bottom. And I think it's, um, I think maybe cause I wasn't like, I'm not really a death player. I didn't really get legions of gash, but this feels like a really great, um, consolidation of that army into a kind of coherent form mm. both from a law point of view but also from a um sort of equal balance of obviously lots of law and some new stuff and some interesting kind of um sort of count, like you know fleshing out the skaven's role within within the chaos pantheon mm. and the, the horned rats position in the chaos pantheon which we discussed before like trying to figure out where, where he so he's sort of like the it's like um it's a kind of a complicated sort of edge case, but it's he, like the horned rat has become a kind of a god of like, um, sort of, um, like almost like annihilation and ambition, like, um, almost like hubris, like as opposed to, so somewhere like there are shades of the other chaos gods in Skaven, like mm. all of them, like, and that's what's kind of neat about them. Like yeah. they have, um, like their defining trait is almost arrogance which is something that isn't all of the chaos gods kind of share to some extent, mm. but you know, that it's the sort of, you know, it's this, um, you would say that maybe ambition was more of a zinch thing, but it's this sort of desperate, um, being desperately convinced that the, the world owes you more than you're getting and that you are the protagonist of the world. <laughs> right. And that, um, if you scrape and claw and betray and, and work hard enough, the world will come, you know, will be yours and you will rule over its ruins basically. Right. So it's like, it's not the, you know, their sort of, uh, love of plagues and things doesn't really like it aligns them with Nurgle close enough for Pestilence and Nurgle to be allies, but the Skaven are working towards the end of the world. Like they're probably the only chaos faction that would want to end the world because when the world is over, vermin will rule. Mm. Like that's the sort of uh, the difference in a way. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, corn fights itself into a corner um, and like maybe Sanesh, you know, uh, eats itself into a stupor 
and um Zinch's sort of um cycles of ambition and betrayal and you know aspiration and things are always almost cyclical hmm. like you know masters betraying their or masters being betrayed by their apprentices like forever and all that stuff sort of applies to Skaven but they are like uh, they're kind of uh nicely framed it's almost like a foil for the rest of chaos because they kind of embody all of it and they're constantly fucking up um but also they may well win in the end. Mm. Like, it's like an interesting sort of, um, you know, if you were to do like the, uh, an anti chaos, chaos faction or like, like there used to be Malal, who was like the, the chaos God that was going to wipe out all the other chaos gods. Yeah. So it's like, that's where the horned rat is kind of coming in. Okay. Interesting. It's almost like this sort of like, I don't know, almost like uh, the irony, you know, the mm. sort of, I don't know, like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like the sort of the, the, um, um, the sort of the lurking potential for everything else to come crashing down at any time. And it's really nicely sort of evocative of how it all fits together as well and how it fits into AOS more broadly. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I like, I just, that, you know, rats are always in the rules. They're always all around. Yeah. Uh, they're waiting for the walls to crumble and, you know, everyone to die. And then, uh, and they'll try and make that happen. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll invent strange warp fire throwers that do lots of damage and, you know, multiple yeah. Uh, they, um, there's a great description of the fact that every single Skaven, no matter who they are, um, kind of believes that they are the main character of <laughs> <Right>. Skaven <laughs> and that, you know, it's every, like, they're all basically like tiny, angry, toothy, uh, like Tennessee Williams protagonists. <laughs> right. Like they're all like one great deal away from <laughs> getting out of this town. Yeah, no one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, like, they're like, yeah, they're like, you know, they're like the, 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 the heroes of a Bruce Springsteen song. If they were like rat engineers that blew themselves up, <laughs> <laughs> which is a cross section that doesn't really exist anywhere else. But like, you know, that every rat, every Skaven believes it itself to be the hero, but the, the counterpoint of that is they're cowards. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons they run is because like, I've got to save my life. I'm the most important one. Yeah. But also, they are all shit. And like, so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So like most Skaven don't really realize how meaningless they were hmm. until the moment when they're like, uh, you know, like, like killed in their thousands at the behest of a, you know, a, a, a minor political squabble between two Skaven clans. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like a nice sort of tragic irony to mm-hmm. their entire that's existence. Nice, it's quite a good angle. Yeah. And there's, there's loads of good stuff. I mean, it's quite a thick battle time. Like there's a lot of, you know, fiction for each of the clans mm. and, and how they work and, and the a nice amount of sort of freedom to have your own takes on, on different clans. Like there are the four great clans and those are the ones that are sort of still around, Yeah, good. but there are also like, um, lost clans and things like that. So oh, there are cool. alternatives to pestilence, ashen, verminous, and uh, pestilence, ashen, verminous, scryer, molder. So it's five great clans and master clan and how it all sort of fits together and how the vermin lords fit into that as well. Mm. And, um, um, yeah, it's really, really good stuff and, um, uh, made me, um, fully, uh, back into the rat men. The other really cool thing about it, I think is, um, I think it's way of handling multiple factions within a faction is among the more elegant I've seen. Yeah. So it doesn't bother with, you know, color scheme specific rules, which have been coming into AOS quite a lot, right? Like, mm. you know, different hosts of Stormcast. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't bother with that at all. Hmm. Because obviously the clans are already there, but also it doesn't, um, it's got quite a cool way of reconciling all of the clans while also giving you the ability to specialize. Um, and I think it's quite an interesting way of thinking about how to balance AOS because, um, so you're aware, are you aware of how Skaven Allegiance works now? So I, I get the, 
the battle line if has been expanded to be much more flexible in some ways, but I'm not sure what the specifics are. Right. So there is now only one Skaven Allegiance. Right. It's called Skaven Tide. Mm. Like you, there is no such thing as a Clan Squire army. There is no such thing as a, a generic Skaven army. Every Skaven army is a Skaven Tide army. Uh, I think they came up with a new word for it because it mm. needed to be distinct from what's come before. Yeah. Uh, so it's a new keyword that is on every Skaven War Scroll. Um, and a Skaven Tide army has shitloads of abilities because things like, you know, uh, because each clan has abilities that apply to its heroes if there are heroes from that, uh, that clan in that army. Mm. And you don't need to be mono clan to get access to them. They are effectively mini allegiance abilities. In fact, two of them, the Pestilence and the Scryer ones, are based on the allegiance abilities that were in the previous General's Handbook. Right. So they were previously, like, and this is one of the reasons I think it's confused people, is they were previously just referred to as allegiance abilities, and they're not anymore. They're just parts of the Skaven Tide allegiance ability. Mm. So if you have a Clan Scryer Warlock in your army, you know, the Inventors, you gain access to their special thing. Um, and that's true regardless of what you want to do. Um, the way the Battle Line If works is if your entire army uh, shares a clan keyword, um, then certain choices become battle line rather than not. Um, and that also, uh, the other alternative is if your general is master clan, which is the clan that sits on top of everything and every other unit is a, um, uh, and not including allies, every other unit, not including allies is a clan keyword. Then you get access to that clan's battle line. Okay. So you can do a full clan squire army, but with a master clan general, like Thankwall, for example, hmm. um, and still take advantage of Scryer battle line. But the cool thing about this is as soon as you do that, it switches off clan rats as battle line. Right. So you've got to go for their specialized. Because, infantry. because as soon as you have clan rats, you don't have, the hundred percent of your army isn't Scryer anymore because clan rats don't have the Scryer, Mulder, Pestilence keywords. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, so because the previous, the problem with battle line, if I think in other contexts, it's like battle line, if you're, um, if you have this general is there's a lot of mixing and matching. Mm. So like, you know, you might have, uh, there's loads of armies that have, this is battle line. If your general is a particular general, but you don't lose your other battle line. So you can take advantage of maybe like your cheap generic battle line, but, um, also, you know, you know, edge in a different general. And I think that can encourage some sort of weird choices in terms of who your general is mm. like, um, I don't know, like taking a, 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 a you know, making a, a wizard, making a, a, a wizard, your general in an Eidneth army, even though you have got an Achillean king, because you want the bowman to be battle line yeah. rather than the eels, you know, something there like that. There are loads of examples like that. Yeah, like where it's yeah. like, you're going to some weird things. Whereas at Skaven, you are forced to choose, basically. And, um, and that's a really, um, I think a good decision because it's, um, it becomes uh, a much, there's a much, it creates a much softer gradient, I think, between, um, you know, I want to take two units of clan rats, but have the rest of my army be scryer. Hmm. Uh, I've got or three units of clan rats. Then I've got battle line for 2000 points, but I still take advantage of all the scryer allegiance stuff. Um, but if I'm taking storm fiends, which are battle line, if, if you are scryer, then um, I'm paying for them and they're not counting towards my battle line tax essentially. Yeah. Or you can take storm fiends as battle line, but then your choices are just storm fiends or acolytes as battle line, at which point, you are settling into a strategy that's got to work around the fact that your battle line units have three models in them, you know, and it's like, yeah, clan rats are cheap though, right? Clan rats are cheap. They must be very cheap. You must be able to probably have them in your army, even if you do have the specialized battle line. Uh, no, cause they don't, well, you, so no, you, you lose the specialized battle line if you take them. Right. Yeah. So, so if they're in there, you just, 
they have to be. So more. if you're if you're taking Clarence's battle line or storm or um, storm vermin, mm. then they are your only battle line options. So you are committing to three units of them. Okay, does that make sense? Mm. Um, that still leaves loads of space because yeah. they are cheap. But it's um, it's kind of hard to explain without like giving examples of armies. And maybe when we play with stuff, it'll be more obvious why yeah, yeah. this is, I think, cool. But um, so rather than get totally bogged down in the rule stuff, it's more that like I think it's a an interesting way of because previously, um, it, and I think the key thing is that the the things that make those clans interesting is like maybe the abilities that their heroes get simply by being in the army, mm. by being in a Skaven Tide army. It's the fact that that doesn't get switched off by going for a mixed allegiance. You know what I mean? It's like there's a, there, there's, you can use, you can draw from any Skaven unit. And if you are mixing, match, if you are mixing and matching, then you're committing to having clan rats as your battle line. And there are good reasons to do that. But, um, but you can also choose to go in a really specific direction, at which point the whole army kind of transforms completely. And I think the reason it's cool is like Skaven are a horde army if you're mixing and matching because clan rats are your battle line. Yeah. So you're inevitably going to have hordes of them and they're going to be better in big hordes because mm. they are just are better in big hordes because of the other Skaven rules. Yeah. Um, but when you specialize, you end up in weird situations like the scryer, full scryer ends up being like, like I say, like a 17 model, 2000 point army mm. because it's, it goes hugely elite. And I think the only way you can do that is with this kind of, interesting kind of con- set of conditional sort of um rules built into the army as a whole yeah because and that and what's neat about that is it allows the army to transform dramatically from one field to another without um without while still remaining a skaven army which is really neat yeah i like the way that that might force you it might build automatic vulnerabilities into different types of army as it well does, yeah so i mean like you lose your chaff but you gain perhaps a lot more damage output or something mm. and, and a lot more centralized um centralized low model count um which is quite an interesting trade-off but yeah that's a have a look at the books yeah really there's another interesting one like I, it, I like i don't know i mean everything in aos is abusable but i i had quite a good time just sort of theory crafting it basically mm. because there are other interesting things like i suspect because scry is very high damage output quite vulnerable and their weapons tend to blow up so you know what i mean they are glass cannons yeah um i feel like there are other considerations that go beyond simply like points values and, and damage values which is things like how many drops is your army mm. and there is a there is a single scryer battalion um like a sort of omni battalion and it's unlike any war scroll battalion in the game i think in that it only counts as one war scroll battalion but it is made up of like six different war scroll battalions and you have to take three of them well no you have to take two of them and the main one mm. so um, and however you do it, there's, they have clearly, um, and they are, they're sort of different. So there's like one that specializes in lightning, one that specializes in doom wheels, one that specializes in flamers. You know what I mean? They're all kind of like, it's like, what is the composition of your, like, cadre of inventors, basically? Yeah. Um, and they get different bonuses and different combinations based on how you create this kind of modular battalion. Mm. Um, but however many, however, uh, however you arrange it, the minimum cost of that whole battalion when you take the sort of minimum number of units to fill in all the gaps is about 1800 points so there's basically no way to do it and then stick on another big unit or a big ally or something mm. like it is your thousand point army particularly because um some of the skaven um, endless spells are amazing so you're probably going to want that last couple of hundred points for that stuff um, so it feels like that's like almost like an army in a box mm. and what you're getting for that is a bunch of buffs but also the ability to drop the entire army at once which is a big thing yeah but it's sort of built into this risk reward thing where if you mixed and matched if you ignored that and just built a squire army you can use those points much more freely and then 
drop in Thankwall, who's amazing as your general or something for 400 points mm. and build it in that direction or add a vermin lord and do it in a different direction. Like it's really neat. Huh. Really, really like oh, it. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, um, and, um, and I think they've done a good job of reining in. I think there's definitely going to be stuff in Skaven where, uh, I, I think I'm maybe committing myself to another army where sometimes it just annihilates things. Yeah. Right. I think, I think it's going to end up, I think it's slightly more fun than Thinch to some extent in terms of mortal wound output simply because there's such a high chance all the time that everything blows up mm. and you're encouraged to gamble. Yeah. And to, and I think probably the skill of that army is knowing when to gamble with the fact that your warp lightning cannon might blow itself up. Mm. Like, um, and the cool thing is, um, they don't blow up when they fail. They blow up when they go spectacularly well. Right. Which is different to like a perils of the warp thing where mm. like not only have I failed to cast, but my wizard exploded. It's more like this went so well. My 180 point war machine is now also dead. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which, interesting yeah. Like mm. there's a lot of things where like the weapon teams, um, you know, if they roll a certain way, often in a way that's quite good for them in terms of how much damage their output is, they are killed immediately after the attack is resolved. Huh, so it's like, you still get to do your big one-off attack. And they pop. And that's they it. pop. Which is, I think, you know, if you compare that to, I don't know, uh, uh, Zinch Wizard has just done a shitload of damage. Hmm. It's a slightly different feeling. Like, we've talked a lot in the past about mortal wound bad feel, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I think maybe there's slightly more charm to, like, Yes, it's annoying that you just electric, you know, you just, you know, annihilated my Star Drake with this ridiculous warp lightning blast, but also quite a lot of your army has exploded. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that's what Sky does then. If they're pretty much, if they're just like low model count, but really high risk. And yeah. Are they, are they quick as well? I mean, they can, they be, can be. be quite fast. They can be. I managed to find a quite, silly edge case where you can get a doom wheel to do potentially a 51 inch regular move <laughs> once okay <laughs> yeah okay. where it basically um like i would call it maximum warp because i think that's probably the yeah the word for it but basically there's um and that's that's a brilliant bit of like potential complete fuckery because um the so th- that is based on the fact that there's a new artifact i think called vial of the fulminator <laughs> Um, which is basically nitro. Like that's what it is. <laughs> right. it's, it's nitro. Hmm. And you, if you have a warlock standing next to a Skaria war machine, so it's either this or a warp lightning cannon, uh, you can give it the nitro hmm. in its movement phase. And then you double its move characteristic, which is quite good for like, I don't know, I need to scoot my warp lightning cannon like an extra three inches or something. Um, but the other thing it's useful for is doom wheels have a 4d6 movement value. So, um, if you roll incredibly, um, and then there's a, there's a battalion that adds to their movement and stuff like that. So that's yeah. where you can get to, if you rolled four sixes and then doubled it and then added three, then you can get to that 51 inch move. Okay. But the, very unlikely. it's very unlikely, but it's very funny. Like it averages <laughs> right. out at about a 35 inch move, which is still fine because yeah. they also do more, that's they also, uh, they can fly. They count as being able to fly. They run over stuff. If they're running over something that has fewer than three wounds. Okay. So they, small stuff that you yeah. just trample. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. That's cool. Um, so they can just sort of go wherever the fuck they want really. Mm-hmm. Um, and run over units and they do more wounds to every unit they run over. But the really fun thing is when you roll the dice for a doom wheel, uh, for its movement value, um, you can, if you like, choose to reroll it. Like just, mm. if you're not happy with how far you've gone, you can choose to reroll it. However, if in the reroll, any of the dice show a one, 
your opponent gets to do the move instead of you. No, holy shit. <laughs> so, oh boy. Yeah. So I don't think you ever do the reroll in the turn where you do use the nitro. You just don't risk it. Yeah. But there yeah. is the potential where your opponent then rolls the four sixes mm. and then just does like a big donut all over your army yeah. with your own doom wheel. And the, the, the law for that is great because the description is that just sometimes when the rats inside the doom wheel get too excited, the, the engineer is too busy fighting the rats inside the doom wheel to control the doom wheel. Yeah. And so it just doesn't really know where it's going. Mm. It's just off. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's awesome. It is. It's great. That's great. It's refresh a, a really cool older model as well, which is yeah, still yeah. really good. Oh yeah. Those models are great. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm partly responsible, I think for the carrying empire of selling out everywhere, but <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to, to tracking on with it and they've done some things like they've reined in storm fiends i think in an interesting way because okay. they were quite abusive mm. i don't know if you ever went uh, up against them no i didn't i don't know what they do so storm fiends are the huge they're rat ogres with the rat ogres Cannons. that are also bane basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah. so uh with the little brain rat strapped to the back i remember them vermintide yeah. if you played vermintide too they're all over many of them yes. yeah yeah um nice bit of 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 uh I, I, they've been nerfed and there's no getting around that but i think they've been uh, it's a good example of uh, an old war scroll getting a proper mm. rethink. So the, previously the issue was they had one of three weapon options, but the box um, is one of each. It's one of each weapon okay. options. Well, there's one of there's there are there are six possible loadouts for Stormfiend, but in the box you get um, three pairs, if that makes sense. Like each body can have two different weapons. So by multiple boxes to do yeah. That so like, yeah. you buy three boxes in order to get the three good ones yeah it's like that caradron exploit yeah. when before that got faq and the, the previous thing was um maxing out the number of warp fire throwers which is like an eight inch range flamer weapon mm. but previously it just did six mortal wounds so you'd put three of them in a unit and then just do 18 mortal wounds that's that yeah and Damn. that's that's boring yeah I, th- I believe that's how it worked and it was just a bit crap so change number one is um that now the unit has to be built like it is in the box, basically. Okay. Like you can pick, uh, you still got a bunch of loader options, but you need, um, <laughs> you know, there, there are essentially three types of storm fiends. There's the, which type of melee, there's a melee one, which either has two, one or two different types of melee weapons. There's the ranged weapon, which either has a flamer or a mortar. And then there's the sort of utility one, which either has a rattling gun or a mining drill. Hmm. And now those are the three pairings and a unit has to be comprised of, you know those three pairings basically yeah. hmm. um and then the flamers and this is like a, an army-wide change which is quite cool because it makes it more consistent with the rest of aos flamers now work like the gaunt summoners anti-horde spell so you measure it's how many models are within eight inches of them hmm. and then you roll the dice for each of those models and on a four up to model wound okay so it's really good yeah yeah but it's not uh, um it's now anti-horde it's not like a hero killer because the old one was just like hello <laughs> like <Yeah. clears> throat> not throat> even like a small hero just like probably your biggest thing <laughs> yeah right um whereas now it's like specifically it's number of models within eight inches and it's a big base you know it could be quite a lot but um you know most like tunneling and, and deep striking abilities mean you have to set up nine from an enemy so you know yeah they get yeah. more powerful the closer they are like it works it's a good you know mm. interesting good role there's a there's a nuts thankwell can put has a four a giant four-armed rat ogre as a mount and can put a warp fire throw on each arm. Oh my god! And it's the same rule. <laughs> so he rolls four dice per model. So he charges in and then just rolls four dice per model for every model within eight inches, yeah, well, and every four up as mortal wound, which is the sequitur killer. Basically, them, it's just yeah, the yeah. yeah. The other really funny, and this is the last thing I'll say about Skaven because I appreciate him banging on about them, but um, I didn't realize this until I realized how funny this was. Every Skaven hero against the scurry away rule, mm. which means when they are when you activate them to fight in the combat phase, you can instead choose to move and retreat. So 
if you charge a Skaven and don't fight it straight away, the, you know, the Skaven player can activate it and just leave because mm. that's what they do. They just, I mean, and they count as having retreated, etc. you know, but it, the idea is they can be really yeah. difficult to pin down. Mm-hmm. So, and that's cool because, uh, you know, as we've spoken about plenty of times, uh, a lot of the most interesting decisions happen in the combat phase. Yeah. So knowing you kind of have to fight the heroes first if you want to kill the heroes because mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to piss off while you deal with the clan rats, which is extremely Skaven-y. Yeah, very. Um, but also there's no limitation on that. Every single Skaven hero can do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they are, they are, you know, riding a giant monster or they are a giant monster in the case of a vermin lord. Yeah. They can just choose, or every, no, no Skaven is ever too big to run away is like a kind of mm-hmm. army wide rule, which I well, think is. Especially really the heroes are just always keen to throw smaller rats in front of themselves or let, you know. Yeah. It's just irrespective of how big they are, they, they always have fodder around them. I think it's really fun. Yeah. Like, that's really it, neat. That's really yeah. neat. It sounds great. Like, um, I've been meaning to dig into it and listen to some of the sort of like more competitive podcasts, which we'll all be raving over some of this stuff. But it does sound quite swingy, a lot of it. And the variance yeah. is an interesting game feel thing, which we've discussed before. So yeah, it'd be interesting to, to play against it, especially yeah. as an army that fears mortal wounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah I think, Sorry, um, I think it would reward, um, I think it's the kind of thing that will inevitably reward, um, understanding and strategy right you know so it's one of those things where mm. it's like you'd always expect to take losses but i don't think i don't think a squire army like i think the big difference is zinch that i'm really interested to sort of try and explore is zinch actually has decent staying power but in a super weird way mm. right it's like we just won't stop coming back from other dimensions or splitting in half or whatever mm. whereas like squire particularly have no staying power whatsoever like and i think most scaven armies to some extent will lose a war of attrition mm. so it's like you know weathering that initial kind of barrage and then taking advantage of low bravery and just yeah interesting you know, yeah like, i was going to say they probably have very low bravery uh yeah. given that they are cowardly cowardly rats yeah but they also now have portals that allow them to teleport around like in port oh that's cool so yeah because the gnaw holes because they can just yeah, gnaw holes in reality they just tunnel yeah yeah um it's good so the other, and I maybe don't need to spend as much time on it but i also picked up the flashy to courts book simply because i'll probably do something with the Especially towards half of yeah. Harry Empire, and um, I think maybe we will get more into it. But um, I, th- I think of the two new books, um, I suspect Fleshy to Courts are the more competitive. Mm. Um, and it inevitably there will be good Skaven armies. Maybe, I'm completely wrong. I'm not a very competitive AOS player, but it certainly feels like um, the more abusable of the two. Mm. I don't know if that um, I might I might be wandering into territory I'm not an expert in, but like. Um, there's it's 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 telling to me like um i, I actually quite like the book like i like the law of the fleshy courts i like the kind of delusion idea the fact that they're sort of they, they do a lot in that book um to flesh out the nature of that delusion and what it feels like to be them and like i think of all of the um i think the fleshy courts are the most clearly the good guys in their own minds mm. like they don't experience any doubt about that like there's a good story about um uh fleshy courts um sort of like hoarding swarming to the aid of a night haunt procession um that is being sort of held back by the anvils of the Heldenhammer. <laughs> um who the and and the and what the fleshy courts perceive is like huddled pilgrims in their robes, like their sort of ragged <laughs> shawls yeah. being um sort of terrorized by these like horrifying automata from mm. the skies, like wreathed in lightning. And they're throwing their bodies at the enemy to protect these kind of holy pilgrims from these kind of monstrous invaders from beyond. Mm. And they're absolutely the good guys in, the, in their own story, which is kind yeah, of quite that, fun. Super. Also love that this is what the Bretonians have become in age, age <laughs> right. as well. Yeah. There's, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, 
um like how tr- like it doesn't go into huge details of it but there is plenty of hints like there are fleur-de-lis on stuff and yeah like their dedication to heraldry and obsession with kind of iconography is quite similar to the old Bretonian. there and their courtly structure is is specifically right. the same and there's um there's like um there are echoes of old Bretonian stuff so like um one of like the the roles in the court is whoever's the the lord marabroth and it's if there's a lot of the things in that story that specifically echo the Bretonian version of Mordred, whose name I've forgotten, who's Mirabord, Marabord. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, this, it's, it's a one fantasy battle dude, but he's, you know, and, um, who's the Black Knight in fantasy battle, basically. Right. So there, there are sort of moments where it sort of teases at mm. it, but it, they don't ever commit to like, no, this is good. exactly what became of them. That's so. good. That's good. I'm glad that they don't, but I just like that idea that. Like that's a very dark thing to happen to a faction in Warhammer. It is, yeah. Uh, Partly though, I was I was rereading a bunch of Bretonian law in order to kind of like try and figure out if I could find any more of those links, having just read the Fashita Courts book. Yeah, and I'm actually now pretty convinced that the Celeste Prime is Luan Leonka rather uh, than Carl Franz. Interesting. Yeah, because I'd sort of forgotten this, but right at the end of um, right at the end of um, because obviously Carl Franz turns into basically a Stormcast right at the end of End Times. Yeah. But so does Luan Leonka. Like he turns to basically like this winged angelic golden sort of <laughs> god man, basically. And I sort of had this feeling that like the bait and switch would probably be it being him rather than that'd be interesting. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. Um, you know, particularly because I think you know there's that story of like the the uh, the elves Tyrion and Teclas gave Sigmar a very valuable soul, hmm. and um, as far as I can remember, Leon Leonka's soul is ushered away by the lady of the lake who is an elf because mm. petronians are elf worshipping humans basically yeah, yeah, yeah um so yeah there, there are stuff that you know yeah you could definitely you could see that <laughs> the three line right yeah but then carl Franz did really like hammers he did really like hammers and uh you know he, he knows how to use that hammer he does he does yeah he comes down from space <laughs> he does. deems you in the face <laughs> <laughs> i love the new prime rules they're very good yeah um Oh man, Should get, I haven't seen the prime on the table for a, a long time. No, but I, I really like what they did with that wall scroll. They just tweaked it just a little bit and suddenly it's the thing that you could sensibly take yeah. in a 2000 point army. Uh, just, and all it was was like an extra attack and a bit of extra consistency and not, but not too much. And, uh, it's a really fun model to use now. Like it's a, still one of my favorite Stormcast models. Mm. Super nice. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, I think maybe in terms of Fashion Court's rules, it'd be easy to talk about some of the games I've played against them this weekend than yeah. actually like get into the nitty gritty of it. But like, so it was tournament using all the new, I mean, they must obviously, yeah, it was using all the new stuff, but yeah. also first and second place of both Fashion Courts. And I think, uh. um, well, so I'll put it this way. I'm not sure there is an army that can abuse a thousand points more than Fashion Courts. Yeah. I'm interested to talk about this actually, because one of the reasons why I was put off, um, I was busy this week anyway, but one of the reasons why I probably wouldn't have wanted to go is because it's very hard to make a good or at all competitive a thousand point stormcast list mm. because um you just don't build enough stuff into the army that can you, you know perform certain roles like you just you can't have a uh, a big hero in there and then not yeah. still get in enough battle line that actually will do anything uh and you, you end up with a very small elite army that can't actually kill stuff very well whereas maybe with fleshy courts or whether or skaven even with low points costs th- those horde armies would yeah. pack a lot of models there weren't in. any skaven there so that's right yeah but there were um moon clan mm. Um, hmm. but so here's the thing. And I think, I think, I think Flashy Decots are a bit of a perfect storm. And, um, so they're an army that doesn't have very many models at all. They've got yeah. basically three boxes really. Hmm. And the new arch regent. Um, and so they all need to be good and they're all pretty good. Um, there's, um, they're a summoning army, 
Mm-hmm. So obviously there's, there's a lot of free points on the table that you can access in particular ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, they are, they, they have excellent monsters, right? Because mm-hmm. of the terror guys slash zombie dragon kit. And then I think the, the real, the real thing, um, is that, um, that monster is very, very accessible. Mm. In that if you are collecting a Flesh Eater Quartz Army, it probably just makes sense to keep buying the start collecting box and maybe the odd box of ghouls separately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, that's literally almost all the kits. So just keep getting that because mm. it's, you know, it's a 50 quid box, but it's got everything in it, which means that all of the things that <clears throat> I think particularly unbalanced thousand point games or small games of Age of Sigmar, like having too many bear moths or having too many free units and that kind of thing mm. all apply to one faction. But like, whereas maybe a different faction might, might be able to get, I don't think there's another faction that can, you know, pile up the, the big unkillable monsters quite so much. But let's say hypothetically, there was a scenario where, uh, bloodthirsters could be battle line and a cornet army, mm. right? Like hypothetically, yeah. 400 point monster. It's not different. I mean, there is now a scenario where, um, terror guys to battle line. So, you know, one of the armies that did very well in the event this weekend was just three terror geists. Mm. And, um, some direwolves or something. Nope. Really? Because the terror geist to battle line. Oh, of course. Sorry. So yeah, it's a ghoul king and then two un- unmounted terror geists. Yeah. Ghoul king on terror geists and two unmounted terror geists is, um, an army. Mm. Um, like I genuinely think like three unpainted terror geists is like just your way into like just winning a bunch of, it's, it's, it's just showing up with knights. It's that sort of same thing where yeah, in a scenario yeah. where if no one can hurt it, Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you don't want to do. But in the scenario where, you know, let's say the new corn book means that if your general is such a certain bloodthirster, then bloodthirst, a different kind of bloodthirsterous battle line. Mm. And technically you can get three bloodthirsters into a thousand points. People will definitely abuse that. But the flip side is bloodthirsters are like 70 quid models. Mm. So you won't see as many of them around. Whereas like, I'm pretty sure every flashy to courts player is literally drowning in terror geists. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's a combination of having the models, but also having the ability to kind of really mm. heavily, um, manipulate them. Similarly, um, because the thing the throne does is make the once per game summoning abilities for all of the different units completely free. Mm. Cause normally, uh, for an arch regent or a ghoul king to bring on a unit of, of models for free, which is very powerful. Like, um, the each, each, Arch Regent costs 200 points and provides 200 points of free models uh, and is also an ex- excellent caster and a great combat hero. Mm. Um, but normally their ability costs a command point. So it's a once per game. So if you have, in let's say in a thousand point army, you put um, three or four Arch Regents and then some ghouls for battle line. Um, in a regular game, you're going to only be able to bring in your extra 200 points once per turn and you have a really wonky army. Mm. But because of what the Charnel Throne does, which it makes that, it, it uh, gets rid of that command point cost, you just deploy all of them on the um, throne and then create an 800 point army at the start of the game. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a 1800 point army. Mm, that sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? That's, that's, is that really how it works? Yep. That's horrendous. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Yeah, it is a bit nuts. So, um, and that, I mean, that's a huge investment because it's one arch regent per box of carrying empire, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. But that's what I mean by like not being quite so sure about the rules for them. Like, I think they've gotten a lot better. I think they probably needed to get better. And, um, I'm hoping that I'll probably make a desperately suboptimal fleshy to courts army in trying to make a relatively wholesome fleshy to courts army. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was a bit sort of struck by like, that just feels extremely abusable. And, and particularly because it hinges on the terrain piece. Mm. Like, 
I mean, I suppose you could say that there's an opportunity cost in terms of the train piece because uh, as soon as your opponent knows where you placed it, they know exactly where you're going to plonk all your heroes. But to be honest, the benefit is so great that yeah. there's no reason not to just, the heroes just need to be within an inch of it. So there's not even really a size restriction. You just put it in your own deployment zone mm. and then deploy your heroes on it. Or and be- then, behind it. <laughs> yeah. And then in your hero phase, you do the thing. Mm. And they are, you know, they're also six wound, six or seven wound heroes with a, you know, a death save. Mm. So, or an ignore. So you're probably not going to kill all, you know, even if I got like the, let's say I got the first turn with a load of mortal wounds and just went in there and tried to kill them as much as fast as possible. Yeah. I'm not going to get through like 18 wounds worth of hero. Mm. You know what I mean? No, like, you know, it's, um, it's a bit of a weird one. A yeah, weird one. That sounds, <laughs> doesn't sound good <laughs> of all games. But then like giant monster games, uh, the, the downside to having three giant monsters is they don't get objectives and things. Um, but I think that's only true against certain types of army where yeah. you have enough stuff to actually screen off. Cause they're big base models. And what you do against big base models is you have lots of stuff in rows and, or just like blocking stuff off where you yeah. can't make it awkward. They can't quite fit stuff in. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> Especially if, like, in a thousand-point game, they're probably just going to kill everything by turn three anyway, just because they're, yeah. really, they're still really good as well. Um, so, yeah, that does sound pretty rough in a thousand points. Yeah, and they've, they've got quite good, um, like, command traits and mount traits now as well. Yeah. So yeah. there's, like, there's, there's a really great spell that means that uh, a monster can fight as if it's still at its full wound threshold. Mm. So, like, there's, there's a lot of anti-anti-anti-monster kind of tech yeah, yeah. basically keeps them strong yeah i mean i, I don't want to sound too negative because i'm definitely not a fleshy to courts player and i can basically tell that somewhere in the world like chimp is basically going like <laughs> what do you fucking know don't, don't make them take it away yeah. <laughs> um, yeah yeah and they must have thought about it. you don't do that without knowing that people are going to yeah. take three tarot ghosts i feel like i feel like though it's sort of it's less you know maybe specifically about this book and, and obviously we can get to this but like and more about the um the problems with a thousand points AOS, mm. like all of that free summoning and stuff is less pronounced as an issue in 2000 points because the other person's just got more. Mm. Like I feel like if you manage to get 800 points of free stuff in a 2000 point game, most armies have a way of getting there, mm. whether it's through resurrection or something like that. And if they can't get there, then they probably have extremely good units, but, um, but it's literally proportionally not quite the same as, you know, yeah, there's loads of ways that uh, AOS, uh, balances differently at a thousand points, especially, like, especially scenarios where it requires someone or something to stand on the point. Like, that's often a significant chunk of the army that has to stand still and not actually participate in the battle. Mm. And that is a, an enormous problem for Stormcast, for example. If you knife to the heart, you've got, you need heroes to be capturing objectives. Yeah. And so you've got like a 120 point hero and you need more than one because you might play knife to the heart and suddenly they're just standing on each objective or they're signing on one objective and that's 240 points of your army that's probably barely involved in the battle if the rest of your stuff is moving around and if you've got a low model count it's just your ability to screen stuff that would obliterate you in the game from many many armies isn't there yeah so for stormcast unless you're like allying into like some cheesy loads of skinks or something you you just <laughs> a great <laughs> cheesy cheesy skinks uh you're not going to screen off the stuff that will let you know Loads of armies have ways of dropping stuff next to you that will do massive mortal wounds and delete a hero. And the way you defend that, and against monster lists, well, the way you defend that is you just deny space, and you just can't do that with a certain with a, an elite army at a thousand points. Mm. An elite army at two thousand points, suddenly you can. Like you have enough models. Uh, it's a similar size board, right? Same size board, in fact, mm. in a lot of tournaments. Uh, and suddenly you can actually start screening off and start, you know, uh, owning points with the model count but it doesn't work very well at a thousand points it's weird like 
it, it almost feels like you need bands at a thousand points to make yeah uh, to make it more competitive i was and thinking about this like i was thinking that um i thought one solution would be to <clears throat> have so at the moment you have minimum one hero minimum two battle line mm. my suggestion would be minimum one hero minimum two battle line minimum one other unit mm. because that cuts off it wouldn't solve everything but it cuts off a bunch of like um like edge cases where you um it's all you know it's like for example all heroes and then the minimum amount of battle line to to abuse hero abilities for mm. example or if you have a scenario where uh you can for example make monsters battle line it also forces you to take something else which will probably prevent you from getting so many bear moths mm. in if that makes sense because it's like you could no longer be able to do the three terror geists thing you could do two terror geists and some other stuff which is immediately a very different feeling mm. scenario so i think you know uh, that i haven't really tested that or thought about how it would apply to every army but no yeah there's definitely a problem with against the thousand where even if you bump up to 1500 you get a better game in my experience yeah just a little bit of extra model count just makes the game work a bit better because mm. you can actually form screens and, do and you also move into the um 2000 point battle line requirements like yeah, 1500 right. points requires three battle lines. So you're, you're yeah. forced to take yeah that extra unit which you're talking about, mm. which actually makes it look more like an army and yeah yeah yeah. What is um we haven't really talked about um hobby month at all, but I appreciate we both had a relatively slight one. Oh yeah, mine's been super slight because I'm still working on um Blackstone Fortress. I'm still working through the Traitor Guard. Right. Though on my second half of the Traitor Guards, I've done them in two halves, seven and then seven. Yeah. And inverted the colors for the second half, and uh, there's just a lot on them. It's a bit like the um. I like the models, uh, but it's a bit like the new Primaris in that there's so many like little grenades and rags and mm. bits and stuff dripping off them. Totally makes sense for the fantasy for those guys. Like they've lived in this fortress and they're scrabbling, looting stuff all the time and they've become, you know. Put spikes on stuff. Put spikes on stuff and, you know, they've, they've, they've stylized themselves in that way. The models are great. Um, but they're quite a ball like to paint and I feel like the more time I invest in them, the less reward I get out of models mm. that small that you're really probably not going to be paying that much attention to in the end. Yeah the depressing realization that like i guess from my zangle like <laughs> right yeah yeah i'll just fling these around oh three are dead fine yeah but i think even the zangle like they they look spectacular because they've got um they're sort of, sort of such vivid colors so mm, you've got like right yeah gold and blue and and you know kind of ivory colors and just lots of kind of depth of interest there whereas just kind of khaki and black <laughs> <laughs> like you're not gonna look at there's no way for me to make that wow i don't know how to make that pop and look mm. super and they're not supposed to be they're supposed to be grubby and they're supposed to be just kind of ordinary they're not supposed to shine the heroes uh, but i find like the amount of effort i have to put in to try and get them up to the standard i'm happy with isn't as rewarding mm. as it has been with even uh, with the heroes for sure but even with like the ghouls which i dry brushed and now just like yep they're great <laughs> and they pop and they look awesome yeah just it's funny colors. isn't it like where effort actually pays off yeah like yeah. i think in this case it's a, a matter of color palette where like certain color palettes probably reward you less for going deeper into detail unless you're photographing them because they're just not going to explode off the surface and sort of be like a give you that wow pop mm. that other stuff does um so i'm really feeling the kind of uh i don't know like camo fatigue fatigue fatigues <laughs> fatigue, <laughs> fatigue. yeah uh where it's just dull colors that are just exist the reason that 
the whole point of camo is that it's you dull it. <laughs> and unexciting to the senses. So the, if you have to put a lot of effort into painting that, then you're doing a lot of effort into something that's going to be dull and unexciting to the senses. Uh, and for, uh, it fits the fancy of the models, but after, as a man who's painted gold giant space beings for uh, two years previously, it's been a slightly frustrating shift down to that level. Yeah, it's funny because I really love doing Rohan because it was sort of oh, yeah. like the sort of like, I, 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 and I found that generally like a lot of my better looking stuff is slightly more muted. Hmm. Like, I had that sort of like frustrating thing of like my corn is a lot more muted, but I get a much better response from people for it because mm. people like simple things about it, like the fire effects and stuff. And I was like, maybe brown is better, <laughs> you know, maybe like, you know, and uh, I had a very similar experience to you, I think painting the God Swan hunt. Mm. I'm really pleased with how they came out, but they were a ball like the entire time <laughs> right. because it was just lots of, and it's maybe partly because of the dark earth scheme I had settled on where it's like a lot of black leather and uh, like fabric, like, like rough sort of like hemp fabrics and sort of leather and, and, you know, mm. wanting that kind of like, you know, gothy Conan feel basically. Yeah. And I was kind of, I'm, re- I'm pleased with how they turned out, but like I, uh, having been on a real painting roll in January, they completely like slammed the brakes on all the momentum that I had mm, for a very similar reason. It was just like, <laughs> I'd do like one stage of, you know, leather, and I'd feel like no change had taken place. Mm. And I think maybe when you're doing drab clothes, like the effect isn't complete until a whole model's complete in a really big way. Cause mm. all you've really done is like, I've made that brown. You know what I mean? And then when yeah. the whole thing's complete, you do get the satisfaction of like, at least that looks like a person now. Yeah. But yeah. Once the skin's in, there's like maybe more contrast from other parts of the silver on the model or something than mm. the, the, drab the, the drab looks a bit less drab or you know there's context for it but yeah i've, I've sort of found it annoying um and now i'm moving on to like next tier is probably the beast men but at least there are only four of them uh, yeah even though it's the same color palette pretty much because it's supposed to be the same dudes that are mutated i might put some blood for the blood god in there and actually kind of you know uh yeah get something different about them in there just so there's there's more interest um the, and again it's like the scops are really cool but it's just almost <laughs> the psychological effect colors have on your brain i think it's part of this as well because mm. like you know, that's a, a real thing that's like yeah. certain colors certain like sunlight and, the, and you know luminosity and compared to you know low contrast like it has to affect on your mood and i think actually when you're painting for a long time for a couple of hours just painting very low contrast drab colors puts you in a certain space that maybe painting a you know beautiful gold man doesn't mm. and i think that is an interesting thing to think about when you're thinking about lavishing attention on a hero model uh, versus mm. a whole troop of very similar, co- you know, very similar colors across a lot of different models. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it, yeah, I agree. That's an interesting take. It has an interesting like, effect on your emotions, I think, when you're actually mm. sitting down to do your hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah, my month's been relatively sparse. I just did the Dark Oath and then um, my Arch Warlock, partly because there's a handful of metal and fine cast models that I would like for my Scryer, so I'm doing them first mm. because then they're done <laughs> yeah get them in the um, but i always i've always really loved the arch warlock model used to be ick claw um mm. and like sort of heavily armored skaven wizard basically with a robot claw yeah um and this was a bit of an exercise in um because it's a low model count army and i'm kind of conceiving it as an army that i'm doing and then probably leaving it at that mm. i really want to um put the effort in and try and um not that I would necessarily like be aiming for best painted things. Cause I think that's a bit of a, it, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to aim for, but I feel like, uh, because my, my Zinch, my first army and my corn even kind of came together from sort of bits and bobs and starting for one thing and then doing another thing. Yeah. Uh, this is an opportunity because it's relatively low model count to try and do everything really coherent, 
pull everything together and then be done with it. Hmm. You know what I mean? And sort of have something that looks really, and that particularly extends to like basing. So oh, yeah. uh, in terms of stuff that, um, I sort of learned from doing it, um, one thing I've been doing is I use, um, I, I've been doing this a bit anyway, but now I'm trying to formalize it using, um, there's a website called Palaton, which I'll do a link to, which is basically just a color scheme generator. Oh, cool. And it's useful for, cause it's basically just, you can put in basic color and it's really easy to get, uh, kind of games workshop colors cause you just search for the, the paint name and then hex cause you get the hexadecimal value right. for the color. So feed that in to get the basis and then you can see at a glance what the, what a triadic color scheme would look like maybe with a compliment from that point of view mm. and a, uh, like a triadic color scheme is usually pretty good for miniatures God, this is cheat codes stuff this it's is great yeah. like color scheme generation basically yeah, yeah and obviously and then you can also adjust the luminosity of any of like the luminosity range so and i've done this for a few things i'm working on including flesh eaters so for like flesh eaters for example um i wanted to do a and they're actually kind of similar color schemes because i like certain colors like i like purples and greens mm. and and blues and you can see that across like everything i've done really um um but like so if, um adjusting these things allows you to kind of uh, you don't know how it's going to look on a model so you do it on a model um but i found it quite helpful for like being in the right ballpark almost straight away mm. rather than being in that situation where you just put like a random spot color on a model and you don't know why it doesn't work <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, I knew that for Skaven, the, the sort of, the feel I had in my head was like, almost like 80s cartoon science villain. Like, which is for me is like black acid green. Um, and then, you know, sort of like copper piping and things. And these are actually traditional Skaven colors because of yeah, warp stone sure. and things like that. Hmm. But I knew black was going to be important. So, uh, but also this acid green and you can kind of two birds at one stone that by, um, putting green uh, as the basis base color basically but setting a kind of range of uh, the luminosity of it so that it goes from white all the way to black with like a kind of neon green in the middle mm. and then also applying that to the other colors in the range so that gives you like in terms of the complementary colors in that regard that gives you like quite a vibrant orange which has for me become a copper basically screaming bell right and quite a rich like almost magenta mm. um pinkish sort of uh, mauve almost and so like um a lot of um you see a bunch of red on skaven but i'm using pink instead and it's actually kind of work when i see things like leather mm. and um but you can also then factor that in, in other areas like um tails and noses you know like pink yeah. rat's tails and things like mm. and so hanging off all of those things even though actually it's quite a dark model um because i want it to feel like um i've done a bit of um object source lighting as well so this the crystals and the warp stone is glowing like that you know and that is easier to do if the model feels like it's in the dark mm. you know it's hard to have a glow effect on a well-lit model if that makes sense yeah so uh, and also the um the bases i've been building are like cobbled streets that i wanted to look like ruined cobbled streets at night basically because mm. i i love and miss more time <laughs> so <laughs> and and skaven are very more time to me so yeah yeah, yeah i completely get that so it's sort of like uh even despite being quite a dark model just having like clear co color contrast just from color theory means that it pops because that's how color theory works yeah and it is cheating to you know but it's really helpful to be able to go and do it oh, that's great that's whereas really cool. like um for flesh eaters, I know that I want to do something a little bit, as much as cost games, but basically I, I'd like to do, um, almost like colors of, I'm still sticking with realm of metal. So colors of like rust and decay mm. basically. So, um, it's actually a very similar color scheme because I wanted to kind of base the skin tone on nihilic oxide. Not that I would actually use nihilic oxide, but that's sort of like very pale mint yeah. color. 
Um, so, so picked that, but then turned the, made sure the luminosity range was quite, um, far more pastel, like, you know, even though you wouldn't consider, you know, cannibal monsters to be very kind of pastel, <laughs> like lots of pastels, but actually it is a lot paler, right? Like mm. rotten skin and kind of decaying flesh and pallid kind of hues. Mm. And that then gives you like, um, a sort of mellow, uh, tan color and which actually works quite well for sort of rust. You know, that kind of thing. And, um, and pink. Um, but pink in a sort of, uh, very pale, almost lavendery pink, which actually works quite well for like, uh, particularly rotten flesh and sort of, you know, sort of, um, uh, like, uh, not gangrened, but like, um, decaying extremities and things. Yeah. It's quite, you know, works quite well. Basically, so that's probably my tip is, is use a color wheel nice. tool because it genuinely gives you ideas. Well, uh, how do you do, uh, edge highlight the black armor? Because I've been, um, one of the things I got annoyed about with the traitor guard was the GW recommended way of doing it with actually a series of blues that for me didn't right. work very well. So I, um, um, I think, I think it works with blue or gray. Yeah. But you have to pick which one you want. Hmm. And even works with bone. Like you can do like, it's like, um, highlighting black is the same as shading white. Whereas you shade white with blue, gray or brown, basically, hmm. depending on what kind of white you want. Um, and then you highlight black with the same based on how warm or cold you want it to be. Yeah. Um, the approach I've taken is, is kind of, um, I think, I think I suspect the, um, for chaos stuff, I always use gray because, um, uh, I know that the heavy metal team used blue for power armor, but for me, like, unless the gradients are really, 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 really fine, mm. it just becomes blue. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I find. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas gray, it maybe becomes a bit gray, but that fits better. And, you know, it's almost dry brushable, right? Like, mm. um, so for the, for the warlock, it's like, actually like, so I think the, the thing is, um, not being afraid to go really light with the, the top highlight. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I think when I first did it, I was a bit shy about going anywhere off like a mid gray, but actually you go almost to white yeah. with the highlights. And that actually makes the black look deeper because yeah. of how, how bright the, the edge highlighting is. You, uh, if I find if you just use gray, uh, like a, a middling or low tone gray, like it, you lose all the detail as well. It just becomes like mm. a smudgy effect. Whereas what I found, uh, I really, really enjoyed painting the flamethrower, um, Pius. Is it Pius? What's the name? Pius Vaughn. Pius yeah. Vaughn. Um, really enjoyed painting her because, um, she, she's got like sort of scalloped armor, lots of layers to it that mm. you can edge highlight, which I did with like a relatively bright gray. And, um, I was so happy with the effect on her than I was with the, the guard that I did with these blues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also because it was slightly more aggressive, as you say, it was slightly brighter and actually, at a distance that defined edge really really helps mm. uh, i think the trick is like not to is to make it just the edge like and not go too far in in um from the edge with uh sort of colors that might sort of soften the effect if you know what i mean like my instinct with edge highlighting for colors is to um edge far like to apply paint further away from the edge to kind of almost soften the Define it, impact yeah. of the the eventual line highlight you mm. do whereas for black that's fatal because it ends up black ends up looking like the color that you yeah. you soften with i think you can get away with it if it's quite th- like uh, like a thin thick highlight if that makes sense yeah. like there's like there's a degree to which it looks good it's probably precision the thing, danger zone is is actually is, yeah. is pretty narrow at least you can always go back over it with black and just kind of you can you, you know 
Yeah, well, I would say in terms of methodology, that's how I do it. It's mm. like, um, like, so for highlighting, um, black armor with gray, for me, it's Eschen gray first, which is a little browner than Mechanicus, but Mechanicus would work as well. Mm. Um, and actually like quite a, not messy edge highlight, but like quite a thick edge highlight and then go back over with black mm. and tighten that up. Yeah. Yeah. But not loads, just tighten it up just enough. And you can, and then you can see where the problem areas are. Mm. It's like, Oh, that one is actually standing out. Yeah. And then um, an edge highlight of Dawnstone yeah. and then Administratum. Nice. Great. Do you use that uh, Administratum for like the winks or do you to do the full kind of winks. edge? Yeah. 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 I've been using Dawnstone and mixing it. I don't know. I don't have Administratum. I need to get a pot, but I've been mixing also a bit of white, well. something like that. Mm. Just like get those edge, those points, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can, you can do the whole edge. Um, I tend to do, it depends on the armor. Like I think if I want something to look sharper, mm. I do winks rather than the whole edge. If you yeah. want something to look more like regal, you know, like I think, I think having little pricks of light along the edge of things and then picking out things like scratches and stuff makes it look more battered, which is appropriate for yeah. Skaven, for example. But so. if you're going to do some new Primaris armor, you might go for a smoother, more difficult yeah. edge highlights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Basically. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was fun. And then the other things, what else have I done? Um, interesting washes for metal to make metal look interesting. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I, um, I started glazing all of my silver areas on the Skaven with, uh, glazes of, um, Mournfang brown and dark reaper, hmm. um, which creates green, uh, which is useful because they're basically, but in, and then stippling patches of both because, um, really like not rusted iron, but like used iron tends to go greenish, bluish brownish mm. and it just it gives it a bit of life i find it quite a nice kind of quite easy way of nice. giving some depth to a metal mm. and that's usually after like a a 50 50 null oil and non oil gloss initial run so you get this kind of uh, do you edge highlight back up on uh metal for example yeah. I, I find it like i do yeah. to, to be like a bit or just wings. Goes for a lot of it like mm. um maybe weeks is the best way to go for it but like uh you could try and Agrax on um, lead belt, for example, is nice. It just uh, especially if you start, I find if you start using a, a second or third layer of Agrax closer to the hilt or something to actually mm. like create a bit of like shadow definition. But then I find it almost gets cartoony when I start applying uh, some like brighter silver to the edges. As, yeah, as though it's almost you know the the sharpness of that the appearance of that edge is doesn't work with the kind of browning and stuff. Yeah. You almost then need to like take it back down with another wash. Just or, to, yeah, yeah. That's the instinct I have, but I wonder how, how you do, how you do that. I think it depends on the material. Like sometimes mm. it looks really good. Like gold looks great with a wink. Yeah, like gold loves a wink. Gold mm. loves a wink. Yeah, Sil- it can take a wink. <laughs> yeah. Silver, like, so for blade edges and things, I think if you're going to do it, you have to commit to doing it all, mm. which means like, um, probably actually blending like the proper, the way, you know, the way light, um, sort of, uh, reflects and kind of inverts up different surfaces on a kind of, uh, I don't know, multifaceted sword edge or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of commit to doing it properly. It's not enough to just draw a line around mm. the various edges. Yeah. Um, cause then it just does look like you've drawn draw on a it. line around. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you have to kind of actually blend up to those points and things. And that's just, it's like, it's more work and it does look better, but it doesn't look, it's, it's like worth it for heroes, not worth it for everybody. Yeah. Kind of, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, Whereas like, um, so like the Skaven Warlock's got a little kind of like rat totem and like just picking out some of like, it would be the muscles, but like picking out some of the high points on that with just a little brighter, uh, bit of silver actually then for some, some reason makes a huge difference. Mm. And I think maybe it's, it's a, you know, it's an eye thing, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's really interesting as well. Reflective 
uh, items deep in clothing or deeper in shadow almost a brighter highlight makes more sense because that's mm. um the reflection of sunlight or whatever environmental light is going to be condensed much tighter in that those yeah but the bit you, bits you notice will seem more impactful and more high contrast so uh, yeah yeah working on it. it's really interesting yeah it is hmm. the other thing i found is that i really really love um basing i just really love basically oh, cool. like, as not not much of a converter really I don't really like converting I find it stressful mm. I feel like i've broken things yeah. most of the time like um basing has been really really fun mm. like um but bought a couple of little boxes of resin bricks from ebay and used them to make cobbled streets and things and like sort of um you know fractured cobblestones with warpstone kind of jutting out of it oh nice stuff and it's just really neat uh, yeah, it just feels cool. it's fun and um I did a bizarre amount of paving, like, because I didn't want, um, rather than like just glue the bricks to the base, um, I wanted to have the potential to have an uneven surface. Mm. So I basically used milliput as mortar and right. I covered the base uh, in milliput yeah. and then so pressed bits into it. Pressed them into it and yeah. that allows you to, you can then like, you know, literally roll something over an area where you need to be flat because you know that's where the model's going to be. Mm. But you can like tease up bricks and things oh, cool. and have them be slightly yeah, uneven. Very nice. That's very modern. And then, it? yeah, and then when that's dry, just painting texture paint into the gaps mm. where where there is a visible gap. Um, and then uh, I feel like you know how models get that moment when you um, when you finish them and they cohere and they come together. I think for bases or probably conversions generally, the moment where you spray them yeah, and you can yeah. no longer see all the different materials you've like clumped together it into this like thing. a sculpt yeah. and it's like oh shit yeah it looks it looks good probably because i wanted to match the uh spike claw swarm bases mm. um but oh, yeah cool. it's really really gratifying oh sweet so this month we're not going to do a battle report because we haven't had time to play a game with each other but we are going to talk a bunch about games that we have played with other people that Absolutely. aren't each other yes so you uh you sound like you had a fun game with aos recently yeah it's the first game of aos a proper aos played for ages like since perhaps since the event yeah. yeah um just simply because i've been busy uh but it's been wonderful to rediscover the game uh we had a, had a great game against uh chimpo's 1500 points it's knife to the heart so heroes um mm. and i had a, a kind of uh an almost slapped together out of sequiturs and uh you know the the wizard general that the stormcast have and some old favorites like formulators and that kind of stuff um pretty traditional army uh stuff uh but chimp brought his um high elves or as they're now now known swift hawk agents uh which is uh an army that <laughs> which does sound like project management software <laughs> really, really <laughs> does, yeah. can you assign me a task in swift hawk <laughs> <laughs> it takes uh, some of the sheen off the glamour off the high elves uh, because they're, they're, they always used to be the the smuggest kind of most aloof old school kind of vision of elves mm. and i love them for that i think they i love the old ranks of high elves um it was wonderful to see some of those models uh you filled it like a, a lovely army which had like two giant sort of griffin riders mm. uh, and uh had like a couple of uh units of pretty old school warhammer fantasy battle cavalry that like go and shoot and then dart away again, which is an old wood elf thing and a high elf thing now. Um, and also like a big unit of sword masters as well. And it just looked fucking awesome on the tabletop. It looked like a really old school, uh, Warhammer fantasy yeah, battle right. army. And I still do miss that. Like mm. the thing about the, uh, the kind of, uh, in the first days of AOS now referred to as kind of the wild west of AOS where there was no, uh, points values and no battle line or anything. People used to just throw down the biggest monsters and it was always the biggest monster smash. And, uh, you lost all that sense of uh, like a well balanced army that looks awesome yeah. on the tabletop and has a variety of different 
things that it can do. Um, and yeah, so I really, really enjoy playing against it. And also it's not like terribly powerful, that army. Um, but it, it does certain things very, very well. Mm. And in an objective game where they've got certain things that are very fast and disruptive, it, it ended up being a really closely fought affair where we were just like tentatively, um, fighting over two points i put both my heroes on one point in hopes that i could just sort of stampede the other point um but what happened was uh chimp sent one of his amazing griffin riders uh and they have a six inch pylon that doesn't have to target the closest thing to them hmm. and this uh jim uh, uses brilliantly and it was such a good mental image because uh one of the griffins just kind of charged into my back line where my sequiturs were and my sequiturs surrounded him and he just hopped over and went off to kill my archers right uh because um, my uh my archers basically existed to delete the heroes one by one and that's what yeah. they started doing the first thing they did they as you've experienced like, this is what Soulcast <laughs> yeah. does uh, they target like mid-level heroes that are linchpins of armies and they're very good at getting rid of them uh, so in like the first turn or so like i managed to get rid of his his mage that had gotten onto one point just by shooting it uh, and my plan was basically just shoot everything off while sort of blockading stuff with mm. very tough stormcast units that um the high elves couldn't really shift uh, they didn't really have the mortal wound output to, or the killing power to get through stormcast and so, um, but w- what kind of ended up, uh, making it so competitive was that, uh, Jim had this griffin in the back line, uh, that could hop from unit to unit. And, uh, as you rightly pointed out afterwards, I should have like retreated away from that thing. So it couldn't keep doing that. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it ended up go like hopping. <laughs> just bouncing around. Just bouncing around the back unit. But the, the mental image of that is perfect. So that's what like a, a, a giant flying monster is supposed to do. Mm. It's coming and squashes something like, um, distracts them, then leaps up and then crashes down somewhere else and just like sends everything to disarray. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what happened in this game. And he did a, a brilliant job of like, so he got out of the sequitors and went into the archers and then hopped from one unit of the archers to the other and with the large base managed to occupy both units of archers and this is where aos 2's rules are great because those archers are then engaged with that beast and they mm. can't shoot anything else yeah uh, so it was like a, a kind of defensive sort of griffin attack but uh de- defense through offense which is a great way to use cool fragile high yeah, elf, right. high elf monsters um and but it was still really close and the other thing he did very well was he positioned his other griffin uh right behind a building in a way that was very, very awkward to get to. And this is a big deal in AOS. Like, if you can make a thing just awkward to charge with a full number mm. of models that uh, your opponent would hope to get in, like, if you, if you, you just watch the base against a piece of scenery in a way that will just deny a load of attacks, that's actually a completely viable t- strategy. Mm. Like, it's, it's a very good tactic because, um, I ended up bringing on my Paladors in pursuit and they could come on from any table edge and, you know, start, um, start trying to mess up the back line. I brought them in at the end to try and get in and, kill the one hero he had on his point um and i I could only get two of them in uh and then when the sequiturs charged they i could get like a few heavy weapons and like a couple of normal guys in no one else could actually get in and in because they've got large bases and they're fighting in this awkward uh piece of terrain um and uh it came down to the crunch where i just needed to kill this one hero and i'd probably win but if it's five then Mm. it was an automatic victory to chimp and uh I, I got the monster down to one wound, but couldn't quite kill it. And then Jim took the victory off the back of that. Uh, and the fact that I could only ch- charge two of the three paladors and get them into base contact, I could only get four or five sequiturs in. Like all that maths really, really mm. matters when it, when it comes to crunch points in AOS. And this, this is constantly, constantly happens where, uh, in scenario play, there are clutch moments where you just need to get something off or you need to kill something. Yeah. Um, and I think my like strategy was good. So mm. uh, broadly, I planned to shoot off all the heroes 
And, um, there was, the Separatists did have a round of full on attacks against the Griffin that ended up being so disruptive and they just whiffed it. Uh, yeah. and they only did like one or two, uh, points of damage and, uh, a portal is shooting into that Griffin to try and stop it from disrupting my back lines, but it just stuck around and stuck around and stuck around. Um, but I just thought it was an awesome, like 1500s is a great, space for aos because it plays quickly as well yeah, yeah it's not too much um we're on a smaller board so but so 1500 points isn't too much for the smaller board you're on uh, and it was just a really really fun game it was, mm. it was super super good and that those two armies were just nicely balanced against each, other, against each other in the sense that they were all about movement and charges and contact and maneuvering and positioning and again i keep on saying this that's what i love about war games so like, i want where my guys are on the thing and the way they're moving to actually really affect things rather than dice rolls so much yeah i like dice rolls to um create slightly some a degree of unexpected consequence but broadly i like good tactical decisions to be rewarded <laughs> and uh aos has an interesting relationship with that because some armies uh are very variable and you can just you can make good tactical decisions and get blown up and other armies are very consistent and it's interesting that to play an old warhammer fantasy battle army that is basically like a legacy thing now like mm. it's not really a supported rule set so much uh but for the to play against an army that played quite consistently in a really fun way yeah it was really nice actually and uh yeah really really had a great time it was awesome yeah um yeah i had a really really good time playing on on sunday actually it was nice to despite the thoughts we've talked about um, so for clarity, I went to a thousand point four game Age of Sigmar tournament, mm. the same one we went to last year. Oh, uh, that's a uh, big, big. Um, but a very similar experience of like having ga- like, uh, I think, so the feeling for me was like for the first time in a while, actually feeling like I was probably using all of the rules of AOS mm. and kind of like, um, fully understanding everything that was going on. And maybe that's a testament to the fact that I never know what's going on, but you know what I mean? Like mm. it's sort of the benefit of like, there is a, there is a cool sort of strategy game here and it can definitely be abused at the fringes. Mm. But, um, I felt like because, um, I went in with a more interesting army than I think I've had previously. Mm. Um, I had a more, a more interesting day of games as a consequence. Um, so the army I took just so for, for help was, uh, the Kersling general. So the dispelling anti wizard wizard, um, with, uh, and like with it, with a fairly decent, you know, meta combo, I guess, which is this, uh, Zinch command trait called arcane sacrifice that allows me to deal three mortal wounds to one of my own units in return for, uh, rerolls to cast and plus nine inch spell range for, for the general hmm. until my next hero phase. And this is really, really good because it allows you to hurt your own pink horrors in your backline mm. when nothing can really hurt them and then battleshock them above their original unit size yeah, yeah. while also earning blue horror points from killing them. So mm. while technically a unit of 10 pink horrors should only ever turn into like 20 blue horrors, I was reliably getting a lot more than that out of them, like getting more pinks than killing those pinks mm. and those pinks dying and then getting more blue points. So you create this kind of exponential horror factory <laughs> while also giving yourself good casting. Mm. Uh, the Magister, who's the little weirdly spindly chicken weirdo that turns people into spawn, and the Zangor Shaman, who is rapidly becoming my favorite ancient hero, mm. like um, flying wizard with great movement speed and the ability to turn things into Zangor, which is very good. Yeah. Then a unit of ten Zangor, which once upon a time would have been bad and is now pretty solid as mm. a you know battle line unit. Good. Um, and they're really interesting. Um, and uh, past me is delighted to find out that they're viable in units of ten. <laughs> having painted 30 of them yeah. um and uh you know temping horrors um 
again, battle line, but also expensive, but, you know, a good strategic kind of unit, great target. Hmm. Um, and a unit of three Zangor Enlightened, um, who are very, very good now and possibly a little bit undercosted, but very, very fighty. And it was fun for me to have. So I gave my general Bolt of Zinch, which is one that does D6 mortal wounds on an eight because he gets rerolls from stuff. Yeah. Um, but other than that, all of my damage spells, like almost everyone had access to a D3 mortal wounds damage spell or arcane bolt, but there was no, no mortal wound output higher than that mm. in the army. Um, which is kind of different for me, right? There's nothing that just explodes. There's mm. like, I had the ability to do a bunch of mortal wounds, but, um, I could tell immediately that the feel of being peppered with a bunch of D3 mortal wound spells is just different to being like, I've just done, you know, like the Gaunt Summoner anti-horde spell being like, I've just done 20 mortal wounds to this unit of 40 skeletons. And mm. we're going, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and then when, it, I mean, that burns both ways as well. It's like, yeah. well, I expected this to do, I've rolled so many dice and I've not done, I've only done five mortal wounds. And that, yeah. That breaks bad both ways, doesn't it? It does. Um, and I, so, and the other thing I did was like, um, before the event, cause it had been a while, cause I hadn't really properly played in since, um, we played skirmish, but I hadn't really properly played since, um, November mm. either. Um, I, one thing I found recently while doing pen and paper role playing is, um, revision cards for just remembering key stats for people. Yeah. So I thought what I would do, and I've got it here is I made myself a two sided, um, revision card for that army. Mm. And on one side, and because this is a fucking siege army, this side that I'll show you, Tom, which is covered in text is the hero face. <laughs> this is every other face. Uh, that makes <laughs> Which has almost sense. nothing on it. <laughs> having, uh, having faced this army, that makes... But also, almost no shooting in the army as well. Only The only shooting unit was the pink horrors yeah. and any subsequent horrors that appear. But I did bring my crusade case with, like, everything in it, apart from the Lord of Change. Mm. Like, so I could have all the, the summoning. Peoples. Which is actually really fun, because yeah. it's like the toy box, basically. Mm. Um, and I had a really, really good time. And I also skipped to the end in the sense of the result. I ended up coming fourth, which is my best result in a oh, West tournament. Yeah, nice. Um, so, um, so not, not enough to make the top three and, and the sort of the, um, you know, prize pools, but actually like genuinely my best results. So yeah, yeah that, that feels good. Yeah. That's um, nice. So I, I wanted to quickly run through the games cause I, um, just like key moments. Cause I, I think I learned cool things about my army and also AOS generally in each mm. one. So the first game was Star Strike, which is one where the objectives come down randomly against flesh eater courts. And, and this was against the army that would ultimately win the whole tournament. So that, that army was two arch regents. So, uh, doing the channel throne thing. So immediately pulling in an extra 400 points of stuff at the, on the first turn. Yeah. Um, a ghoul king on Terrorgeist and two minimum strength units of ghouls mm. for battle line. And it was a really interesting game, partly because he gave, um, himself the first turn. I think because he was afraid of me maybe ambushing his throne or something. There's actually no way I could have done that, but yeah, you know. I took the first turn to get his summoning and summoned two units of crypt flares. So the flying screaming Batman, um, either one, either side of my army. And I had, I have so much experience screening for things from space yeah. that I had screened quite effectively so that there was not really anywhere he could go. And actually his shooting, because they're shoot, because especially to courts shooting is yelling and it's based on beating your bravery. Yeah. Um, the only things he had to shoot were pink horrors on one side who don't give a shit because they're bravery 10. Yeah. And the other were, uh, Zangor who I had put in some inspiring terrain. So they were actually really hard to hurt with it as well. Yeah. So I lost it like a Zangor to the shooting. But then, um, what was sort of surprising was, um, so the, um, the flayers on one flank got like a 12 inch charge and managed to just go leapfrog the Zangor and go straight for the Zangor Shaman. At which point the Zangor Shaman 
setting out to be like the MVP basically for the entire day, killed two of them in combat. And they're four wound models. Well, and he's a wizard on a frisbee. Amazing. Um, killed two of them in combat. And then in my first hero phase, killed the other one with the spell that turns things into Zangor and, and returned the Zangor that they'd killed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so his free summoning points actually ended up doing absolutely nothing. Mm. And, um, and then, um, um, and then on my turn, the enlightened completely annihilated the other unit of, um, uh, flyers because enlightened. So, and, and so the enlightened, enlightened are also really, really good. Mm. Um, and there's a big strategy and if they fight second, they get full rerolls. So on hit and wound, no, very good. That, which is very good, but obviously you're gambling against, and that's, I, I really like that strategically because you have to gamble against how much damage am I going to take? Mm. Sometimes you just cannot go, you have to fight first because they might just die. Yeah. But when you can gamble on it, it's great. They also get plus one to hit if they're within 12 inches of a shaman. So moving the shaman to like buff them for a turn and having to position the shaman, not just so that they're a foot away, but so that they are fully within, because it's wholly within 12 inches. Mm. So they're wholly within after the piling is like, I think genuine skill AOS. Yes, you know what I mean? It's like, it's reading the game a step ahead, isn't it? Yeah. And that, that I find that very rewarding. Mm. Like there were, I didn't, um, that was something I think I managed to consistently get right over the course of the day. And it made a huge difference. Mm. Like I would always put the shaman, so that it was where the bubble was like, where I think the fight's going to be. And that's like a big, you know, that felt like a bit of a level up in my own brain in terms of like, oh, I, and that actually came from having spent the time the night before to write down the rules on a card yeah, and like really properly, like have that awareness of what was going on. The other example in this game is, so, um, in, um, I got a double turn, um, because he'd given me the first turn and he'd also parked his ghoul king on terror Geist in front of me, mm. like right in front of me. <laughs> And, um, and hadn't, cause he'd given it a spell that let it run and charge, but he hadn't managed to, he'd, but it was like an 11 inch charge, even after running and flying across the middle of the board and he hadn't made it. Yeah. So he parked it in front of me and done the thing that you don't do against Zinch, which is park in front of Zinch for a mm. double turn. And so I threw everything at it, but I was also managed to not forget things like the Zangor banner, which fires mortal wounds when it's surrounded by wizards. Yeah. Um, and over the course of my, um, first turn, I didn't, I wasn't able to charge it in my first turn because I was dealing with the crypt flares. But on my second turn, um, I was in a position to not only charge it, but keep peppering it with shooting mortal wounds. I'd lost a bunch of flares. I lo- lost a bunch of pink horrors to the flares, but that might allow me to pull up a unit of 10 blue horrors out of nowhere mm. and have them throwing four up, four up shooting attacks at the, the terror geist. And because I'd managed to unbind a spell that gives it an even better invulnerable save, I managed to get it to four wounds remaining going into the combat phase and it has still hadn't used its once per game summoning ability. Mm. So killing it is huge, particularly killing it before it got into combat. Um, and then I summoned some screamers and like, um, but then everything in my army, uh, including the Zangor, um, except the, the enlightened failed their charge into the terror geist. So it was just on the, the enlightened to kill the terror geist by himself they did shit loads of damage, but the terror geist was, it has a six up invulnerable save and it was also stood on mystical terrain, which gives it another six up mm. invulnerable save. And he managed to, um, and this is just one of those moments, dice moments just managed to get, um, I think it was four sixes in the last pile of wounds. So the terror geist survived on two wounds mm. remaining and then killed half my army in a single turn. Right. Like just absolutely, you know, Spell to give it its full, you know, fight as if it's got its full wound complement, just mortal wounds, mortal wounds, dead, 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 dead. Hmm. At which point the objective comes down and neither of us holding it, at which point the game ends. So it was a draw. Like, well, yeah, and, um, it was a weird one because my opponent said, um, nope, 
Hmm. Just straight up draw. Fair because enough. zero zero draw because neither has had any points. <laughs> so it's just a total fight. It was just a total fight. Mm, and like my opponent said he was going to concede if I'd killed the terror guys, so it was really, really close. And he would go on to win the entire thing. So yeah, it was like yeah, yeah. Well. sort of like fought to a standstill, but then um yeah, an interesting one because it was like mm. you know, but nonetheless it was sort of like a exercise in, in setting that stuff up, right? The second game, which was really um an interesting one, was against Eidneth, who I'd only played once before. And um uh, sorts of things you'd expect. Achillean King, I know Volturnus, the named Achillean King. Yeah. Um, one massive unit of eels, one smaller unit of eels. Yeah, those eels. Reavers <laughs> for objectives and a wizard. Yeah. Like, um, and, um, um, hilariously, <clears throat> we had a table really, really packed with like urban terrain, like fantasy, you know, ruined, temp- ruined buildings and things. Mm. And I was using my, um, scenery dice and there were 11 pieces of terrain on the board. And I rolled arcane for seven of them. <laughs> it was magic as fuck. Yeah, nice. <laughs> like, it's my playground. And I felt very good about it. Um, he gave me the first turn. So I like hold up because I'm just like, I'm not letting you, you know, eel strike me yeah. like straight away. Um, and it was, it was an interesting game in the whole world. Well, basically, this is the one I lost mm. and it ended up being a game that was not close on points in the end. I can't remember exactly where it came down. And it was 10 to four to him. I can't remember exactly what objective it was. Uh, it was one of the relatively straightforward ones, mm. but the issue was, um, that, um, like it was actually close until the end and then it kind of completely collapsed. And the reason for that was every turn roll went completely perfectly for the Eidness player. Mm. And that's not to discount the strategy because he knew that he was gambling on that. So he gave me the first turn and then rushed all the eels forwards. What's the second turn? And double then, turn. and then, um, and then if he doesn't get a double turn at that point, he's boned. Like mm. it's a huge risk because, um, one, I'm statistically more likely to get the turn because of winning the winning draws. Yes. But also he had parked all his eels in front of me. Mm. Again, the problem of don't park in front of the Zinch kind of wizard line. Yeah. Particularly because I'd taken no casualties. But then he got the double turn and the second turn for Ideneth is the one where they can run and charge yeah. based on the tired. And then, um, suddenly his run rolls were on fire. So, mm. you know, he was, he was doing like a 20 inch move with the eels and then charging. And so suddenly my kind of like little turtle position and trying to use terrain and things didn't matter at all because mm. he can fly. So he was just like positioning perfectly to completely box me in. So I was never going to get out of that box for the yeah. rest of the game, basically. Um, and then took a bunch of casualties. Then on my turn, I managed to fight back and actually do a decent amount of damage and break out and, um, I did a, a fun thing, which was flinging the shaman away from the fight and then summoning blue horrors onto one of his backfield objectives to suddenly start getting points and getting back into the game. Yeah. And if I'd, and, and he had nothing in his backfield, it was the one where you get more points for, no, it wasn't the one where you get more points for things in your opponent's backfield. It's the one where you get more points for taking them back off your opponent. Because he had like on the first turn capped all his own objectives. Right. And then rushed me. Mm. And then because he'd done that, the shaman just, again, being a, huge player went to the back and started flinging demons onto the points and which would have got me back into the game. Mm. Um, uh, but then, um, he won initiative back again because if it had gone into a double turn for me, then mm. again, I'm back in the game, he, he points. but then it went back into him. And the third turn for Ideneth is the one where they always fight first in the combat. Right, phase. Right. So, just so <laughs> in the, in the third one, he then just set up all these things and then annihilated every single one of my heroes before anything of mine could fight back. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. And then just mashed me basically. So it was just one of those games where it's like, it was fun. It was a fun game, but Mm. it was like, you know, there was, I needed a break from in either of those two moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing with variable initiative in AOS. It's like, Mm. it can go wrong for you once, but you have to have planned spectacularly far ahead 
to be able to have it go wrong for you twice. Mm. And I think, and coupled with the Ideneth allegiance ability that makes them so powerful at certain turns, like yeah. when that couples you with get getting exactly really the right initiative, punished. it's really hard to, yeah, to do anything about. It's very rough. Yeah. So the third game was an interesting one because it was Duality of Death, which is the one where only heroes can hold objectives. Mm. Um, Zinch versus Beast Claw Raiders. Ooh. So this is an interesting kind of thing. Yeah. Um, beautifully painted Beast Claw Raiders army, beautifully based, um, with two heroes, uh, Frostlord on Stonehorn, two, um, big mammoth dude, uh, two big units of Mournfangs. So I don't know, bull riders, mm. I don't know, big Highland cow riders. I don't really know what they're riding to be honest. Mm. Um, and a allied butcher, like, which is one of the, I think the Gutbuster wizards. Oh, cool. So we had two heroes, which is more than you might normally get in a, a thousand points. A thousand point Beast Claw army. Hmm. Um, and I was actually really, really, really scared of it. And it's an interesting example of, I think, how things can feel versus go in AOS because, um, he took the first turn and ran at me. Um, and I had spread out a little bit, but you know, the Beast Claw, the scary Beast Claw thing for Zinch, particularly in a game like this where only heroes can hold objectives is the Frost Lord, his shooting attack, 18 inch range on a two up into six mortal wounds, which means on a two up, all of my heroes are dead. Mm. Or well, a hero is dead. Just pick one. It's dead. So he ran at me, picked the Cursling, and removed the Cursling. And just like, gone. And that kind of sucks, because it's my most durable hero. And yeah. now I'm down to two heroes that can hold objectives, so we're equalized. And my heroes are definitely not equal to his heroes in terms of durability, wounds, and so on. But, and this is maybe the story of the day. Um, actually, I don't think I, this was actually even a double turn scenario. Um, I just managed to kill the Frost Lord in a single turn. <laughs> the, um, the, and it, and it wasn't like spells did a bunch, but what was really impressive was like, like just, um, it was, a, I basically had a, a perfect combat phase where I had the, I got the, um, I got the Zangor enlightened into the Frost Lord's flank. And then the Zangor, the on foot Zangor spread between the front of the Frost Lord and the Mornfang the sort of the leading edge of the Mordvang because they couldn't all get in because mm. those were some big bases. Yeah. And there are only two Zangor in base-to-base -base contact with the Frost Lord, the leader and just a regular great weapon guy. And the regular great weapon guy managed to kill the Frost Lord by himself. Wow. <laughs> great <laughs> like, job. You know, good job. Promotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that guy. But what that meant is the Unlightened never had, didn't have to fight him. Mm. And so then he activated his Mornfang and piled them into the Zangor. They couldn't pile in far enough to get into the Enlightened because they're already tagged by the Zangor. So they pile into the Zangor, fight the Zangor, kill five of them. But then this is like the perfect scenario for the Enlightened because they've taken no damage whatsoever. You go second. And the unit they're fighting has just fought. Mm. And so they pile in, then pile into the Mornfang and kill all of them. Nice. They kill a full unit four Mornfang, which is like, uh, like, f I don't know, they're like six wounds each or something. Like they just ripped them to pieces. It was nuts. This cow on cow violence is, is quite Yeah, it will bird cow versus, um, man cow, man -cow. violence. Yeah, it was, it, but it was, but it was, um, but at that point, the game was basically over. Like I've never really done a tabling <laughs> before, but it was like, I'd done, I'd killed the, the, the Frost Lord. He only had two Mornfangs and a wizard left. Yeah, it's weird because that's that. Uh, it sounds like the army you faced was actually quite high model count for a Beast Claw Raiders yeah. army, but even then, they it sounds like they didn't have much. Like if, again, it's that thousand points thing. Some armies just very vulnerable just to yeah taking losses in that situation. But it was a really interesting matchup because, um, like I, because I think I think we both had reasons to be afraid of each other. Mm. Like he kind of wants his general out in front because if he does that shooting attack a couple of times to my heroes. I've lost the game. Like, yeah, there's nothing yeah. I can do. You can't like, capture anything. Yeah, and also as I start taking damage, 
um, something I, I came to understand, like particularly in the Ideneth game, um, was so enlightened love their buffs. They love having the Zangle Shaman nearby. They love getting to fight second, hmm. but they're pretty good anyway. Yeah. Like, um, they're pretty good anyway. Um, but, um, Zangor suck without the buffs. They mm. really, really want a hero nearby. They really want to have more than nine models. So they start out pretty good. And, and 10 is, is KG for them because they want to have more than nine. So two casualties and, and there's, there's every model loses an attack, which sucks. Mm. So, um, you know, Zangor feel like with 10 of them, you get them, you get good value out of them once, maybe. And if they get shot or something like that, then suddenly, yeah, especially and, just 10 of them, like. Yeah. Mm. So they fade fast in terms of how useful they are. Mm. And, um, and I sort of learned this over the course of the game. And, um, in that one, it was a case of like, what happens when they do get their buffs? You know, they get to fight first. They, they get to get one good turn out and then they win the game for you. Mm. Um, but against the Ardeneth, for example, they took a bunch of, because, um, the Morsar guard do mortal wounds, the eels do mortal wounds and they charge. That killed like three Zangor off the bat. So they were, there were, and that happens at the start of the combat phase, so it doesn't really matter about yeah. initiative or anything. It's, so it's just like, oh, well, shit. Um, so that was a big learning. So the third game was a really, really fun one, and um, I um, it was against Sylvaneth. And, mm. Cool. Uh, yeah, and so it was a Sylvaneth army, which was uh, Dryker, so the tree, named Tree Lord, um, Tree Lady, I guess, uh, who is she's a horrible combat monster. full of bees. She's full of bees, and she's angry and ready to impale people. Yeah. Um, she's got um literal mood mechanic where you roll for whether she's in a vengeful mood or a sorrowful mood and my opponent did not do that <laughs> you've missed <laughs> i think that's striker but i might be maybe yeah up. um a unit of six colonel hunters with scythes nice um that is a horrible topic that's 30 wounds worth of just tree man you don't want to deal with they could dig in as well with their yeah. they could lay roots while they're in combat and get extra defenses they're very good um and then a branch witch or a branch wraith whichever one it is um mm. that summons and a uh two units of five spite revenants for battle line spite revenants interesting yeah mm. um like and them. it was the objective it was total uh conquest i think which mm. is the one where you uh, it's one point for each objective you're holding in your own territory and uh, three points for the objectives you're holding in your opponent's territory. And immediately you start the game, massive, like, board-spanning block of Wildwoods right in the middle of the board. Yeah. Right, and right in my face. And so I knew from the start that, like, this is where... The Colonels. The, the Colonels and the Tree Lord are coming from. Yes. And opponent took the first turn. And I... So I did... Something, uh, previously in most games, I, I had bunched up to kind of like, you know, take advantage of all the synergies and stuff like that. Mm. In this one, I split up and had the, the Cursling and Pink Horrors on one objective and then everyone else kind of like hanging out on the other one, like the Magister and stuff just standing, you know, as far away from the objective as possible while still capping it mm. with the sort of the Shaman and the Zangor and the Enlightened kind of together because they, they're all bird friends. Um, and the idea was the plan, and this was the plan, was whichever way the, um, the Tree Lord and the basically try and try and encourage the tree lord the dryker and the kernoths to go in the same direction because i figure in over the course of the entire game i'm probably going to kill one of them but not both because killing 30 wounds worth of kernoths is just yeah impossible for for me i think it's just not going to happen mm. um 12 wounds worth of dryker is more possible but it's like if they commit in the same direction i can tarpit them in that direction and i'll lose that objective but i won't lose both mm. If, if I, if they split up, I'll probably lose the game because it'll take me so long to shift that they'll be scoring three points from, you know, each side kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, and they went for the curse thing, partly because explaining what the curse thing does to people makes him sound really scary. Mm. So Drake goes for the curse thing, annihilates him immediately. And this is a common theme. Like some people just kill the curse thing straight <laughs> right. away yeah. and then get stuck into pink horrors that just refuse to fucking move. Mm. And then in my turn, um, I'm, I basically, it was a really awkward terrain situation, but I just charged because Sangle could run and charge. Basically, it was one of the situations where you can't get the charge you want. So you can't get everyone in. But I managed to like create a kind of like thin layer of Zangor behind Dryker and between Dryker and the Colonel Hunters. Mm. And it was sort of bait and used um, Inspiring Presence to keep them around and just have this block of them there. And then the Colonel Hunters charge into the Zangor. And this basically creates a daisy chain where like the pink horrors are the ones holding my objective and then, t- and then p- turning into blue horrors. And, you know, the Zango Shaman's there throwing out blue horrors and making sure I'm holding this objective where my opponent's army is wholly committed to that objective, but he just doesn't have the numbers to take it. Hmm. And then eventually, Dreyker got dragged down by pink horrors in combat. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> like, it took a long time, but, like, yeah, it yeah. took a couple of turns. Um, and at that point, the Colonel started, like, wading through, finally annihilating the the Zangor, mm. you know, finally getting into the pink horrors and probably doing some damage to them. But at this point, his whole army had been committed to this direction for the whole game. Meanwhile, I sent the enlightened alone. So just accepting the fact that they sometimes don't care about their buffs. They took a turn to get into the middle of the board then another turn to get all the way into my opponent's side, wiped out five spike revenants, took a backfield objective that my opponent then didn't have anything to take back. And I'm getting three points a turn from it. Mm. Um, he summons t- 10 dryads um, to try and shift the enlightened but they might just move away. Mm. So they're going to be out of range. Then he sends the dryads through the wildwoods into my territory to try and take my objectives. Yeah. At which point my enlightened are then free to go into his back into his back line and take his other backfield objective. Mm. So the, the enlightened are in this backfield killing spite revenants and taking names. But while this is happening, the Colonel hunters completely just wreck face. They annihilate the Zangor shaman. They kill all the pink horrors. And we get to a turn where my opponent was ahead on points um, because he had taken some of my backfield objectives by now. Um, it took me a while to get into position in the back. And the only models I have left are um, the Magister and two Enlightened. And then um, this was the start of his turn. And then the um, Dryads make an 11-inch charge and get into the Magister. So the Magister is completely surrounded by Dryads. And in a previous turn, he had nothing to cast, and there was no reason for him to cast anything. But for the fa- sake of a fate point, I cast Shield of Fate and I put it on him because he was the only thing in range. And it happened to be still his, still my hero face. And he got a double turn hmm. and this happened. And that Shield of Fate meant the Wajda only took a single wound. Right. Then in the following turn, the Magister, Bolt, who had done nothing all tournament basically, Bolts of Changes, one of the Dryads, turns him into a Chaos Spawn. <laughs> then summons two units of Blue Horrors and a unit of Brimstone Horrors. Then the Chaos Spawn annihilates the Dryads in combat, yeah, basically. Yeah. But not before the Blue Horrors make a charge in, which makes, means the, um, the objective goes back mm. to me. And yeah, the Zyngar Enlightened in the back make the, this charge. And it was this amazing switch of, well, amazing for me, but like switch of fortune where it goes from like, I've got three models left and I'm basically boned mm. to, I've got 30 models on the board now mm. and I've just taken everything. And it ended up being, I think, 23 to 16 or something. Oh, like, wow. It was really cool. Like, yeah, really yeah. high-scoring game, really, really fun ending. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, really rad. And that was my that was my day, basically. Oh, a nice variety of armies you faced. It yeah. Like, it's not so much the army you take. It does sound like you, t- you took a, a more of a fun army. Enlightened, a mobile, close combat 
fighting force. Mm. That's something that you, in my experience playing against, you've never really had very much. Mm. And like, it is really fun to play with it. That's why I love formulators and stuff mm. like that. Cause it's really fun to have like something that you know can get stuff done mm. and, uh, prioritizing their movement and what, what the, positioning them correctly for the right moment in the game is, is part of one of the most satisfying things in AOS for me, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't think I've ever had a unit, I've had units that are good at stuff, but never a unit that just holds the just line. Br- you know yeah, I mean? Brutally, either tank stuff or kill stuff, you know, has a role on the battlefield. Yeah, but yeah. The stuff that kills stuff in AOS is really fun. Fast moving stuff, that's why eels are so, <laughs> so, so coveted in, um, Eidneth forces because they're really mobile and they destroy stuff and mm. like that's the most fun unit to use and that's why i love using the plague drone in 40k and stuff like that because if you get it into the right position it does terrible damage and yeah yeah, yeah it's, that, that's a fun challenge for, uh, that's what i kind of dislike about shooting as well like because mm. shooting does lack that that it's one of the reasons why i don't play 40k very much and or have or, um it's more that i don't have a massive interest in getting into 40k after playing with the start set because playing with Primaris and just being well these ranges overlap so now I get to roll X amount of dice isn't as interesting as a charge or something you know appearing in the summoning in the backfield or some, some yeah. sort of cool trick that you've done strategically I agree I think you know shooting particularly like I liked how much shooting this army had hmm. like because it does play a role and it's like it's like but it's quite easy to remember it's always just like a four up four up Mm. you know and it's just from the horrors and like it adds an extra dimension to um summoning the horrors like summoning them into like this kind of to create these like shooting solutions to try and take extra wounds off stuff Mm. but it feels like being in an army where like the purpose of ranged damage both spells and, and and shooting attacks was simply to create like um, the way I always think about it is like, I don't know, we both play action games. Like, you know, when like an enemy health bar is in like execute range, mm, it feels yeah, like yeah. I got a sense for what the execute range of Zangor and Zangor Enlightened are. Mm. And they are usually the ones that are actually doing the killing. It's like the purpose of all the shooting and the magic and stuff is to like, it's always chip damage that gets them into the kill. Yeah, zone, it's like, basically, yeah. Yeah. Like the kill zone for this terror ghost, uh, it really should have been four wounds left to be honest, but it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I can't account for like magic, you know, death saves when, when they happen. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, that's, you know, this is the kill zone. Now I commit rather than just hoping it'll happen. You mm. know what I mean? It's like, that's the purpose of it. Mm. Whereas I think my experience with each in the past when I've won has been, I've done so much damage. There's no longer a game. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. I mean, and that, that, you know, requires some setting up as well. Like, yeah, sure. But, Synergies yeah. And it, it requires you to protect certain aspects of the army tool to make the combo work for yeah. big spells. And you have to target the right thing and, yeah. and so on. But there's skills to that, but it's just a different type of experience for both players. I think like, mm. Um, one approach is more rewarding for both players than the other. Uh, and that's an interesting part of AOS and any war game's design really. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, and similarly though, you have the experience where like when things do go wholly against you, there's sometimes just not a lot you can do. Right. Yeah. Like I've sure. accepted that in the Ideneth game that it was like, like, what do you do in that situation? Mm. Like I, I always try and think of it in terms of what decision could I have made differently? And in that one, I genuinely wasn't sure because yeah. it's like, yeah. You know, obviously I don't have any control over, um, I think, well, I think maybe the decision would have been list building stage, um, having one fewer unit. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I'd like, if I had more of the models, I could have ditched the Magister, even though he saved, saved me in the end. And I had, uh, a double the size unit of enlightened, um, which would mean that I had one fewer drop as well, which would have meant I had the mm, choice of a first time more often. Man. Like yeah. those are the kinds of things I could take away from it. Mm. But still, it's, it's before you start playing, right? That's yeah, the thing. you can have a type of right. yeah. decision making. Mm. But yeah, so yeah, fun games of Warhammer.
is good. It is good. Like to play. Yes. It's nice. Should we do some questions Let's and do then it. go home? Uh, our first question comes from Paul, who writes, uh, Yesterday I made my annual trip to the Beachhead Wargames Convention in Bournemouth. While there, I completed my annual ritual of holding a copy of Warhammer Underworlds in my hands, <laughs> umming and ahhing for 20 minutes, and then not buying it. Um, as a glacially glacier, glacier, slow painter, I love the idea of a small-scale strategic game played with only a handful of miniatures. And listening to you guys eulogizing about it on the podcast has made me really excited about trying it out. However, as a glacially slow painter, I felt like I had dodged a bullet when Shadespire split by Nightfall quicker than I would have been able to finish painting the contents of Shadespire if I had bought it. Um, I've toyed with the idea of not just picking up and painting a warband and painting it, but shied away with the thought that I'd still need the main box game to play. So my question is, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in getting started with Warhammer Underworlds, but is worried about being left behind by the pace of edition changes? Uh, thanks for the critical hits. Paul. Mm. Yeah, I feel this anxiety as well. And I know I just don't have the time to keep up Mm. Um, with Shades by especially like it's moved at such a clip from the first it has, season, yeah. so, um, like more so than I would be able to deal with and I don't have like a regular playing group I kind of could find one for mm. sure between uh, you Chris and people at GW or whatever if you wanted to turn up on days but I wouldn't have the time to intellectually just mentally keep up with the, what new cards were in yeah. rotation, how things had shifted, what stuff does. Uh, so, and that's even before you think about the, the painting challenge as the sort of quest, the question it asks. So I do feel like for me, uh, the pace of Shades Bar is too fast, but then these games are tuned to the most engaged fans and I suspect the most engaged fans do want that, yeah. that pace of update to keep the game fresh. I think the, the flip side to that is it depends who you are playing with mm. and you can get plenty of decent games out of the core box. You can with for the sure. Bits that are in it. Yeah. Uh, similarly, I mean, obviously it depends on how you feel about paying with unpainted models, but because the models are on colored plastic, um, I, for me, it feels a lot different. Like yeah. I, I, I don't like playing, I, I don't like playing with gray plastic. But actually, Underworld Warbands, I don't really mind. They mm. just feel like game pieces to me. Yeah, sure. Um, so I feel like you could... I mean, God knows, like, I've got far more unpainted Underworld Warbands than painted ones. Mm. Um, I tend to paint the ones I actually play with and I have the cards and things. But, yeah, like, um, I think accepting that playing with unpainted models is, is, is okay is, is one way of going with it. And the mm. other is that simply the core set by itself will give you, you know, a decent amount of fun depending on how frequently you play and you know because there is both sort of starter decks in there and then also freedom to start making your own decks and the game itself is actually pretty substantially systemically diverse so hmm. you know there is there is stuff to learn and dig into depending on how often you play and so on yeah like it's it's really 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 good out of the box for this type of game compared to x-wing which is mm. an amazing game in its own right but like shadespire is much much better value in terms of the type of games you'll get and the the depth of games you'll get and the fact that it gives you a gateway into deck building if you want it uh it's just this the box is super super good so it's it's nice it's nice thing to have the box and play with it if you have people you can play with regularly because i think that will be rewarding in a game sense yeah. um but yeah if you plan to paint everything <laughs> there's a lot of releases lots to keep up with yeah there are um also just paint what you feel like painting and then change change your mind all the time that's what I do. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, the, it's the new way um jams writes hello mini men GW are getting wild with their sprue colours. Oh, speaking of coloured plastic, yeah. uh, Zarbag's gits have a butterscotch. Molog's mob are some kind of delicious lavender flavour ice cream treat. What flavours are the other GW sprue colours? And which is the tastiest? <laughs> uh, warmest regards, jams. Hmm. So, I can't... What does grey sprue, like default GW... The basic one. Though. Yeah, what yeah. does that taste like? 
Ash. Ash, maybe. Yeah, ash. Graphite. Like pencil graphite. Yeah. Um, KFC. <laughs> I like KFC though. Mm, oh yeah, maybe. No, not KFC. I think, um. Let's not be cruel or KFC here. No. Uh, uh yeah. No, we, we want to, we want to chase that sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what's this? Uh, I think that the Stormcast Gold, I think that's like a, like a Ferrero Rocher. I want it to be a Ferrero Rocher, Tom. Pyrite. Mm. Just. What does pyrite taste like, Tom? Uh, poisonous because it reacts very badly with water, if I re- right. remember rightly. Okay. Not that then. I'm not going to eat that. Um, there's a, I think, I think there's a few good minty ghosts. Yeah, minty ghost is nice. Mm. A nice uh, after eight night haunt. I feel like tank. the the fire slayer orange plastic. You should be able to like lick it like a gobstopper, mm. and it would be very tangy. Yeah, like I, orangey. Sort I'm of. torn between that and just what's it? Because it's oh, yeah, no, actually, you're right. <laughs> just like this luminous, <laughs> cheesy chemical just taste. A cheesy dwarf. <laughs> Such cheesy chemical dwarf. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, very much. Um, maybe the, the sort of the, the strawberry red corn, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, strawberry is, is a go-to for that. It's very Blueberry rich. Stormcast. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, uh, the shades by a Stormcast tend to come in blue, don't they? Mm. they tend to come in that kind of, what is yeah. blueberry really though? It's not a real flavor. No, it's like, but it's like fake strawberry, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, like it's a, a different, like, yeah. And that's the eternal strawberry. conflict between fake blueberry and fake strawberry. Yeah. Mm. What are the, uh, there's the sort of the, the turquoise, um, that they've done for some zinch stuff and some terrain stuff mm. and some of the endless spells. I feel like, I'm trying to figure what that would be. Cause that's like, I've not seen those. Um, I've, there's some on that shelf up there. Might not be able to see them from the angle you're sitting at. The, the eyes of the nine come in those colors. Oh, the shades by terrain, perhaps. The shades by terrain, I think is actually sort of in that region though. Yeah. It's that, that sort of like pale blue that. I don't know if that has a correl like a correlation in terms of flavour. No, it's definitely. I mean, it's no, it's the wrapping. It's coconut flavour. Uh, it's okay, the wrapping it's like a of a coconut. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Blue's a terrible colour for food, isn't it? It's it just, is. Yeah. Food should. We're pretty, pretty trained not to eat that. Yeah. Food, yeah. Um, hmm. Good question, though. Yeah. The thank heart you. of it. I definitely. I mean, again, as with you know, any given minute, just thing. I'm just. Minutes from putting any of it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, Drew writes, Hello, crystal plains of Hayish and stomp-battered mountains of Gur. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, a comment on the Discord really made me think. Zinch very much embodies the life-affirming phrase, be the change you want to see. <laughs> um, it does. It had me thinking, what other positive messages do AOS or 40k factions promote? Nurgle seems like an easy, low-hanging fruit. And tower too easy, but what other good ones are out there? Keep putting the good pods true. I don't mm. really feel like just to take go back a moment. I think it's a good question, but be the change you want to see in the world isn't a hundred percent Zinch's deal, because mm. often it's like the change I want to see in the world is I'm king now, but the change that has happened is I'm made of feathers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you don't always get to be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you're told to be by. Yeah. A magic bird. Be the change you want to see in the world, as long as that's a fish tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, it's like he's like the Henry Ford of fish tentacles. <laughs> like um, they didn't know they wanted it. Yeah, so, I feel yeah. like um, the Necrons have a very positive message, mm-hmm. uh, which is if things get tough, go to sleep for a long time. That's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. I quite like that. I hibernate. Mm. Just uh, hey, if in doubt, uh, is is the galaxy filling with elves? 
It's time to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> time to go to sleep. Yeah, I feel like uh, the reverse of this, like the the worst ones, are probably are the Eldar, like the Inari. Like it mm. is just acceptance of your eventual demise, which yeah. is pretty. Old, old <laughs> the message of the Eldar is stop wanking. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true For as well. Sake. Stop! Stop it! Oh no! Oh. Bang! Is like, it, <laughs> but after the wanking thing, though, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they they go to deep regret, and yeah. it's just like their the whole shame. Oh, just shame is eternal <laughs> it's profound, shame. Yeah. Eternal shame. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's the message of the elder. Um, I feel like it, the forty k factions are always more fun to do this with in some ways. They, uh, um, I guess they're a bit more developed, a bit more complicated in some ways. Um, like I don't find anything in, inspiring about the stormcast really in many ways. No, but I was trying to think. I don't really find that. There's not really like an inspiring life message to take from the space marines either. Really, no. Like just, I suppose actually the the, the inspiring message um, is uh, to take from the thousand sons hmm. is phone your dad more often. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> phone your dad and just do it with a normal phone. <laughs> yeah not a warp breaking <laughs> like, tunnel through reality yeah exactly just your father's phone. machinations um yeah. like yeah um that's a good one um i mean searching spe- for like positive messages in the worm universe is is a futile endeavor really mm. which is why it's so much fun yeah um i think the message of the skaven is you can do it but don't is that you know, what, surely their message is like, you could do it and you should try to do it as much as possible at any expense, including <laughs> expense of all the people you love around. Yeah, maybe the, the but don't was I, I like editorializing on, on my part. <laughs> right, yeah, an interpretation. <laughs> um, a classic BBC bias, scathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like it's, I mean, You know, I think that's, um, I think the, I think the positive message of the Skaven is not something the Skaven would necessarily do, but it's unionize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, no, they certainly would not. I mean, I guess maybe the Necrons. They probably should, but yeah. Are the most uni- unionized of, of all the. <laughs> all right, talking about the BBC bias. <laughs> you wandered into the mind pyramid and you came out as a robot. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Um, uh, and that's why we've drifted towards the center right. Um, ever since, <laughs> like, Oh god! Um, what other factions are there? Uh, uh, halflings. Just make a nice stew. Have a stew. Yeah. Have a um, stew. I think um, the the positive message of the um, Gene Steel of the Cults is Granddad knows best. <laughs> <laughs> um, or um, it's okay to be bald. It's okay to be bald. <laughs> um, when you when you got a mining drill. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fear granddad's genes. Yeah, exactly. It's just part of your new reality. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to pull out any sensible ideas. But <laughs> oh, oh, God, no. I think we're, <laughs> we're way beyond that. Um, yeah, like, um, you know, uh, Tyranids is pretty much like, you know, just, you know, eat what makes you happy. Get that biomass. <laughs> exactly. Which is a good, I get that biomass yeah. is my new 2019 <laughs> motto, actually. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 2019, <laughs> I'm gonna get, get, get. Carn effects with the dad bod. Like. <laughs> <laughs> get that biomass. Uh, yeah. That lemon drizzle cake, get it. It's biomass. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what else? Is there any other factions that have a positive message to share? No. Um, no, there aren't. <laughs> Let's do the next question. It's from Andrew, who writes, good morning. I recently completed my first models that I'm really happy with. Uh, link below. Obviously, we can't project link through our, our minds uh, no. right now. But yes. Thank you for saying, yeah. And I've had the suggestion of varnishing them. 
but I don't know anything about varnishing and every piece of advice I've seen online seems to have a horror story attached mm. about how it can go wrong. Do you varnish your models and how do you do it? I'd hate to damage the coat either by damage from varnishing or from wear. I'm not planning to move them about loads, but they will be in use and not just on a shelf full time. Unrelated. I loved Chris's Cryptech. It's a shame you don't post more Necrons. Thanks a lot in advance, Andrew. I agree. Uh, I, I do have more Necrons to paint. Sweet. Um, so I only, ugh, my voice went weird. Um, I only varnish, um, metal and resin models. Mm. And that's because acrylic paint tends to bond very, very well to plastic. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mm, hardly, I used to varnish my old, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle Wood Elves with hairspray. Because, <laughs> why? <laughs> because my mum said that it might help. <laughs> and I was, that's as, why they look so lustrous. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're so beautiful and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> they've got that uh and they're so flammable they're so flammable <laughs> very very flammable oh yes <laughs> the elf children of the woods <laughs> <laughs> yes do not hold a match to them for they will ignite uh yeah so don't do that i guess um there probably are good like matte fixes i just yeah. i never use them so the new gw1 so purity seal was the old one mm. and it's not great i use it mostly for terrain right um the other the new one which i think is munitorum varnish what the fuck it's 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 the current one yeah um is is actually pretty good in my experience um thoughts on using it appropriately um like most sprays keep it in your trousers you know as in warm it so which i do by putting it in my trouser pocket for half an hour Mm. and just go about my day and then as soon as you forget you've got a can in your pocket time to spray (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, you can't feel cold metal it's the same temperature as you so you know that's when you can spray. Also, shake it for fucking ages. Mm. Like normal paint, I shake for two minutes. Mm. Um, varnish, I spray for like th- uh, shake for like three to five. By normal paint, you mean primer? Yeah, or... sorry, spray primer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, no, I, I don't I, shake I... every paint I use for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's a slow, slow process. <laughs> it's a lot. It's like the fucking macarena. In <laughs> um, I get tired doing it. Or uh, shake but yeah, paints. just shake for a, it's, it's a, it's a weird one because you don't want to spray very much and you want to shake for a really long time. Hmm. So you shake for like five minutes and then, um, and then what I do is I tend to give like you know, the normal sort of 20, 30 centimeter distance. Obviously well ventilated, not too windy. Hmm. Um, but then what I do is like a spray from, you know, like a sort of quick sort of like from every different angle around the model. And then leave it. Like, don't be tempted to just go back and do it again. And then, uh, leave it to dry. And then, if it's obvious that someone hasn't caught, then maybe go back and repeat. But other than that, it's probably fine. And then with models that are resin or metal, I just always try and pick them up by the base. You know, if I can. Mm. Um, and keep an eye on them on, because the thing that will ultimately remove paint is obviously damage is damage, and you can't really get around that. Sweat. But like sweat, uh, uh, oil and grease from your fingers, mm. like that, that will, that can pull paint off metal models. It, I've never seen it happen on a plastic model. No, same. Um, so don't bother varnishing plastic models, I would say. Yeah. But with a metal model, you just need to keep an eye on it. Like whenever I have fine cast stuff, like my curse thing or my herald or new scaven warlock, mm. I just keep an eye on it. So like if it's on, a, I haven't had this with the warlock yet, but like if it's on, if it's in use on a gaming table, um, and my opponent moves to pick it up, I might say, can I do that? You know what I mean? Mm. Or like, can you please pick it up by the base? That kind of thing. Cause you know, best way to protect it. Yeah. And, and usually like it's, it'll be, um, and actually even, um, forge world resin is, is better even than this. So, mm. you know, you can be less worried about that as well. 
Hopefully that's helpful. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah, likewise, I've never seen um, GW Plastic properly primed chip yet yeah. in, in my years of returning to the hobby. Like, yeah. as long as it's properly primed, <laughs> it should be fine. Yeah. Oh, also, with... Um, with uh fine casts and metal you also do yourself a huge favor by actually priming it properly because gw plastic is often even fine with a regular base coat spray hmm. so like corax white and i'm obviously talking about gw brands but you know it's the same as true of other spray as well something isn't necessarily a primer because it's a spray hmm. you know like uh like chaos black and corax white contain primer in addition to the pigment uh mechanic is standard grade nope. uh, does it not nope. Oh. nope none of the others do uh-huh. so if you are basing with them mm. the model isn't actually being primed you're painting on top of paint yeah and it's actually a testament to how well that paint bonds to the model that it's almost never a problem yeah like no, I almost never, never have a problem, problem with it but if for example i'm painting a metal model like um that i ultimately want to paint from a gray base coat i will spray it white first mm. or black first um, so that it has some primer on it because that will also help. Mm. So, because ah, advice, so tips, top tips, tips day. Our final question comes from 22 for 22 questions champion Pete slash fee from Discord. Woo. I'm going to cough. <clears throat> now I'm going to read. Pete writes, hello, fair on first step and fabricator general seniorus. <laughs> Um, it's been an unusual past month or so for me, having my free time mostly eaten up by escaping from Tarkov, which is a game, instead of painting and playing. So my mind is on the digital. My question for this pod is, what would be your ideal Warhammer video game? We've had some cracking licensed games and also quite a few less cracking ones recently. But do you have a wish for a game in one of GW's settings that hasn't been fulfilled yet? Perhaps something exploring AOS, a 40k dating sim? Always loving the pod, Pete slash Fee and you're on Discord. Now, I think Fee and I were playing Apex Legends a little while ago and we're discussing the Primark dating sim. So I don't want to like rehab that conversation, mm. but I also badly want that to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think about this far too much. Um, uh, a Dynasty Warriors Ooh, version. Good idea. Um, with, and it would, you could skin that in 40k or AOS. AOS Dynasty Warriors sounds really AOS cool. Dynasty Warriors would be super, super nice. And it doesn't have to be like as kind, as kind of out there as Dynasty Warriors is, but you could, because Dynasty Warriors is just, uh, sort of getting into games, video games specifically, but like the fidelity of that game is so, so far out of date, like about 15 years out of date now. Mm. And if you actually came into that concept with like a modern, with modern technology with proper modern engine proper like fidelity it and then did you, you played a cool lightning stormcast man slashing up hundreds and hundreds of uh, fec uh, on a kind of dynamic war map where you have to siege objectives and then defeat heroes that is a really good fit for mm. melee combat uh, a melee combat kind of aos game that would be super super nice but uh, a lot of these things kind of require budget to realize the sort of high fantasy aesthetic for aos and also 40k always struggles with this as well where to if you're going to do anything at scale you're going to need loads of money to do it properly mm. and that's what's never quite been thrown at metal at warhammer games with the exception of dawn of war series and stuff like that yeah um you don't really tend to see you tend to see like medium to small studios actually taking on the yeah. license and occasionally you get something like vermintide which Vermintide's feels great. more expensive than it is yeah and it looks great as well vermintide <laughs> 2 for example is um a great looking game that feels amazing and uh has fairly competitive loot system is just a really great co-op game yeah, and yeah. That, that's one of the most successful warhammer games in recent years easily 
Um, a few other exceptions. What's the um, Mechanicus one that was um, the XCOM like? Mechanicus. Oh, of Mechanicus. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, that I enjoyed that as well. That's really nice. Awesome. Yeah, I was thinking. So my, I'm sure I've spoken about this before. Stop me if I have. Um, what I would like is an AOS battle royale game. Because mm. I always thought that it'd be fun to have a battle royale game that was far more focused on melee combat than range combat. Yeah. Like a robust melee combat system. Like a For Honor style or mm. Absolver style melee combat system. But in a kind of, you know, 100 player um, sort of battle royale type map set in the realm of chaos. And I, my two pitches uh, for this okay. are either the Varenspire, mm. which is actually where Warcry is, is going to be, I think. Yeah. Or um, the realm of Corn. Like, so, and, and so, like, literally, I started, uh, this is a, a daydream I've had of, like, trying to, like, pitch this game. Hmm. Um, and call it, like, Eightfold Path or something. So it's literally, like, the Path of Skulls in, you know, um, the Realm of Corn. And where, the, in the fiction, your goal is to be the last person standing in these kind of blasted wastelands. Fire Inspire has more options for you have different kinds of Chaos Champions there, where, well, but it could just be all corn. And have the kind of roaming and looting and, seizing blood altars and you know finding like special powers and armor and stuff but ultimately have it come down to like big scraps and stalking people through the undergrowth and hmm. you know hunger games style sort of battle royale stuff yeah nice. and that'd be a really cool way of doing multiplayer age of sigma yeah that'd fit totally in the fiction as well yeah you can get little chaos boons for wins and uh, or skulls taken and stuff yeah like or like even get chaos boons over the course of a game so you yeah you know, nice like as you get kills you grow tentacle arms get bigger <laughs> you just get bigger yeah yeah <laughs> and angrier yeah exactly and redder that's awesome that'd be my one yeah i love that idea um uh skaven tycoon that's the other one Skaven Tycoon, building yeah. a, uh, like a hive. Yeah, like a Blight City sort of, yeah. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, uh, Re- Republic Commando, mm. uh, which I always call Republican Commando. And <laughs> <laughs> um, <but laughs> Republic Commando, but it, it's a kill team scenario and you're ordering, mm. you've got Space Marine companions through cool levels. Yeah, Deathwatch XCOM. Nice. That'd be lovely too, yeah. Mm. Mm. Loads, there's loads. There's loads. Just, just there should be yeah. more great Warhammer video games. To be honest, it's there's an upcoming um like Warhammer Fantasy Diablo sort of thing, mm. I think. And I kind of wish there was a Age of Sigmar Diablo thing. It seems like a better fit to me. Yeah, I played that actually at preview, and it's very Diablo three. And mm. to the extent that it's like, well, why not just play Diablo three? Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got some more co op. Blizzard have been freely nicking designs from Warhammer for a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. exactly. You want to play those other Warhammer games that exist, the Warcraft series. I think making like a a sort of dingy old city Diablo three esque thing is the thing you just the last thing you want to do if you're making an action RPG. You want to make it the most over the top, shiny, yeah, yeah, explosive, be- graphically beautiful um, thing you can. Tell like you what, AOS could do that. I play a Devil May Cry style character action game where you play as Neve Black Talon. <laughs> just twin axes yeah lots of comboing things riding the winds of ferret whatever that means yeah 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 Last, uh, yeah grab the tail of this griffhound it's taking you to the next level <laughs> checkpoint it's activated. more like super mario sunshine <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right yeah because it's uh, a beautiful bird that takes you where you need to go <laughs> lovely lovely that is all the questions we've got and that brings this podcast to an end we can now all go to sleep at the manner of Necrons. Hmm. And so can you. So can everyone. If you'd like to send us a question for the next episode, you can do so by emailing us at miniatures at com. I think. Yeah, it is yeah, that. that's right. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Um, 
thank you as ever to everyone who backs Crate and Crowbar on Patreon because they let us do this sort of thing. And um, thank you for listening. If you'd like to find Tom and I's miniatures on Instagram, that is the place where do find them. Tom? Uh, I'm at Ludo Paints Minis on Instagram. I am at Exit Warp, or forward slash Exit Warp, I guess, which is E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. Mm. Mm. Ah, ah. Another one down. We did it. Huh. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody.